Today is Sunday, April the 6th. This is Stacy Finney sitting in for Loud Fast Philly. And today I am sitting here with John Manhart. Good morning, John Manhart. Good morning, Stacy. How are you today? I'm well. So let's just get started. Um, tell us where you were born. Uh, I was born in North Jersey in a shitty town called Clark, New Jersey. And what year was that? That was 1962, so I'm currently 51. Okay. And how long did you live in New Jersey? I lived in New Jersey until I was 17 and moved to Philly to oh. go to college. Okay, so you yeah. grew up there. So what was it like growing up in New Jersey and what was young John Manhart like? Um, I was pretty much your typical New Jersey middle class kid. I grew up in the last bastion of white suburbia in, in Union County. They actually, my town was the town where they sent a black couple to buy a house and they would be refused. They would tell them there was nothing available, then they would send a white couple and, and they would show them all these homes. And that would be on the news like every year they would do that. And it was just completely embarrassing. The people, um, the people I grew up with were bigots and, and ignorant people. Okay. Um, but not in, the, not in the redneck version, but in the more upper middle, middle class mm -hmm. style. They were really afraid of black people. And were you aware of that as a young person? I was, and I was aware of that because my parents didn't come from there. My parents, my mother grew up in Hoboken and my father grew up in Newark and Elizabeth and grew up in, if not integrated neighborhoods, neighborhoods where they went to school with all different people. And my mother, you know, Hoboken's a suburb of New York. My mother grew up in Manhattan, mm -hmm. partially. Mm -hmm. And my dad, you know, he was in the military and he was, my dad was an intelligent person. He didn't judge people by the color of their skin. He judged them by what, what they were capable of. Right, right. So were there, as your neighborhood started to change as a young man, were there tensions in your neighborhood? Oh no, the or? neighborhood didn't change. No black people owned homes in my town till okay. long after I had moved away. Okay. Yeah. okay. So what was it like there for you growing up? Um, I, it was stultifying. It was, you know, there was nothing going on. You could play Little League and listen to classic rock. Mm -hmm. You know, New York was the only good thing about mm -hmm. being there. Like, it was a 20-minute train ride. Oh, okay. And my mom took us in there all the time. Like, that's where we got our art and music. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where we were exposed to that stuff. And when I was in, in that era, the early 70s, it was still open format on New York radio stations. Mm -hmm. So the DJs actually played whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. So I heard Devo and The Clash and the early bands that would become really important on the radio. How, how old were you when you first started hearing some of these bands? Uh, I was in eighth grade. Eighth grade. Um, you know, I started reading Cream Magazine and, you know, that had Iggy Pop and David Bowie and MC5, mentions of the MC5. So I heard of those things mm -hmm. without actually, you know, I heard David Bowie, but I didn't hear any of that other music. I just knew it existed. Mm -hmm. So was that sort of your first... Um, um, involvement with alternative music or punk music absolutely yeah and and there were you know so people were paying attention to that mm -hmm. i had some friends who were into what we would call new wave and mm -hmm. and there was some of that on the radio coming out of new york mm -hmm. and i played in bands in high school you know cover bands and 
we always, I mean, I, I grew up in New Jersey. We listened to Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was, you know. Oh, no. Yeah. And, uh, I hope you're cured by now. Um, oh, I'm, he cured me, definitely. He's so bad that I just, I, listen, I still, you know, I, I can't get away from the older stuff, like, you know, the connection to it, mm -hmm. which I still really enjoy. Mm -hmm. But he's just, I mean, he's like yeah. a caricature of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like listening to some of that early music influenced your your thought in any way, or, or who you were? I mean, were you, you know, we in some of these interviews, you, you'll hear people saying, you know, they heard a certain band, they heard the Sex Pistols for the first time, and they were just blown away, and that was it. Was there any kind of moment for you, or was it just sort of a gradual? Um, it was definitely a gradual thing. I was, I was keyed up to rebel and not against my parents mm -hmm. but against society in general like the, the things I saw that just passive ignorance mm -hmm. really bothered me in can can you be a little bit more specific um, I hated the kids I went to school with uh, they were really dumb a lot of bullying and um, I was tiny and salty so I was getting beat up a lot because I wouldn't back down, but I had nothing to back it up. Like I would get in fights and just get worked. People would be like, you know, you shouldn't do that. And I was like, you can't let someone push you around, right, you know? Right, right. But, um, so I went to, as I, when I went to junior high, it was worse. Like then I was in school with the bullies. Mm -hmm. My personal neighborhood where I grew up in the school, the kids were fine. Mm -hmm. When they combined two schools to go to junior high, all of a sudden, all my nemesises were in my class with me. Okay. And then I was like, wow, this is terrible. And then and the next thing that would happen was the two junior highs would go to the high school. And I was like, yeah, the, the uh, quotient of cool people to assholes is just getting huger. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm out. Right. I'm going, where can I go? I went to a Catholic high school. I said, I just want to be away from y'all. And uh, one of my friends said to me, um, why are you doing that? And I said, I'm, I don't want to be here anymore. And he goes, you know, there's niggers there. Oh, my God. And I just looked at him and I said, you know what? If you're scared of them, I want to meet them. I, just, <laughs> I, I can't imagine. A that, renegade. Yeah. Well, 13. I just couldn't imagine that these, that these other 16-year-old wow. kids were going to stab me. What year was me. that? Uh, 1977, I started high school. So, I mean, we're, so there were still a lot of racial tensions. I mean, even if you grew up in an all-white neighborhood, there were... There was, sounds like to me a great deal of racism happening well uh, you know it's racism on the large scale but it's mm -hmm. just bigotry and ignorance mm -hmm. people like to grace their their bigotry with the large-scale mm -hmm. title of racism but they're not racist they're bigots right. they're ignorant and they hate things that they don't understand racism is a institutional behavior you know right. Right. whereas bigotry is just ignorance and these these people were ignorant so did you were you aware in at high in high school and middle school were there tensions between black students and white students during that time there were just... tensions between students in general mm -hmm. and then the cheapest way to get a rise was to call someone a racial slur right you know and we would mess with the Puerto with so it was there were blacks Puerto Ricans Cubans white people mm -hmm. and uh, to get the Cubans mad you'd call them a PR Right. Because they would and we, they would be immediately offended by that. And it worked the same way the other way. So people to get a rise out of people would would do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But there was no there was no race ride at my high school. So nothing was, resulted no. in violence or fist fighting. Uh, or... Well, 
Yeah, but fist fighting. But I mean, he could have said, you know, I don't like the cut of your jib. It was. It wasn't. <laughs> What's a jib? <laughs> a jib is a something on a sailboat, and that's a real old phrase. Like you know. Okay, yeah, I wasn't I like, sure if that was yeah. some slang, cool term that I. No, no. term that I didn't know. No, it's it's older than that. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't. It, there, there was none of that in that on that scale. Okay. There was nothing ever happened that you would call a race riot or even. Occasionally, someone would, and then even at this school, one of my best friends, I found out he was a bigot, mm-hmm. and I was just like, he called one of our other friends a nigger in in class, and I just looked at him like, that's Jerome, like we, right. we eat lunch with that guy, what right. do you? And yeah. then I realized that it you you can't get away from that. You do you know? feel like that was your family influence that that kind of spurred you to? stand up for people that way and, and feel oh, like you can speak because I know a lot of people out of their own fear of being picked on oftentimes will just stay quiet but it it sounds like you were very open and verbal um, about yeah standing definitely up my people. father didn't tolerate any of that kind of stuff my father was he was a very quiet man but there were just certain things that you didn't do and that you didn't mm-hmm. you couldn't get away with in his presence mm-hmm. and that was anybody on the street you know he treated people like human beings, and I definitely appreciated that. So, what was it like growing up in your household? Um, it was, it was fine. I, you know, I don't, I can't really complain about my upbringing. You know, I did what I wanted to do. My parents supported me. We mm-hmm. had plenty of money. You know, we were middle class. My folks worked. My mm-hmm. mom taught school. My dad was a sheet metal worker. Okay. You know, you standard union middle class guy and. You know, we went to football games and we did all that stuff. My folks supported us and, you know, me and my two sisters and what we wanted to do. Right. So you said that you did not want to go to your local high school and you transferred to a Catholic school. What was that like? Talk about Um, that a little bit. The interesting thing about that that I thought was interesting is that all the tension of boy and girl stuff was gone. You were judged on how cool you were in general. You didn't have to, no one was pushing you around to make the girls think they were cool. It was more like a guy's joking of, you know, you were, how well you could take a joke was pretty much, and how well you could dish it out was pretty much what you were judged on. There wasn't that, there wasn't the boy-girl tension. Why added. do you think it was different? Because there were no girls there. Oh, oh, it was oh, all boys. I'm sorry, yes, it was okay, all boys. I missed boys. that, I missed yeah, that yeah. somewhere. Okay, yeah, that's so why there was boys. none of that. Yeah. There was no one to show off to. Exactly, yeah. so you <laughs> couldn't, you weren't, putting people down mm-hmm. to make yourself look good for other people. So right. there was a lot less bullying. Okay. So what was what was your overall experience there at the cat did, did they make you are, do you identify as Catholic? Absolutely not. Okay. No. And um Did you back then? I was raised a Catholic, okay. yes. So, I think by the time I was in high school I no longer cared. My parents my sister rebelled first and said I'm not going to Sunday school anymore. And then she was like, I'm not going to church. And me and my other sister, who couldn't have cared less, were like, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> the deal is. <laughs> and your parents were okay with that? My dad didn't want to go to church. He couldn't mm-hmm. have cared less. Yeah. So, but while you were at the school, I mean, were you um, um, uh, feeling like that was a conflict for you? And uh, No, I, I just let that, I, it was like part of what what you had to do because you were there right. it would have you been like going to any you know anything else if you went to public school i'm sure there was something there where you were like this is ridiculous but here i am but you have to do it it's part yeah, of the curriculum it's part of the curriculum so yeah i took religion classes and uh-huh. it was just it was like a comedy routine basically 
the whole point of religion class. We had a religion and morals class, mm-hmm. and there was a lay teacher, and he was like a deacon in the church or something. And man, was he easy to rile. We would just say the craziest things, and he would just get start hyperventilating, you know. And we were 16 years old. We were like, yeah. hey, let's say something real nuts in class. Everyone would laugh, and he would just freak out. So it was it was like that. And they were Marist brothers. Mm-hmm. They basically can cop out anytime they want. Like, there's no, it's not a lifelong commitment to be a Marist brother. You can be a Marist brother for six years and then go do your thing. Right. So we were like, yeah, you guys aren't even, <laughs> not even in this for the long haul. Right. We didn't even have a priest. That's we borrowed a priest from a local, <laughs> you know, local parish. Okay. So uh, the, right. the religion was, was, it said Rosal Catholic on our jackets, and like that was about it as far as we were concerned. Mm-hmm. Okay. There were some, you know, I went on a, my friends went on a, which was it? They went on a retreat, and they were like, "It was great, man. We played basketball the whole time and messed around with guys from other schools. Like it was fun." And he's like, "You should go." And I was like, "Sure." And we, I went on s- something else that was a lot more intense and like to make you cry and feel bad about yourself. <laughs> and I was just like, "I was like, what the heck is this?" <laughs> I thought we were gonna play yeah, basketball. Yeah, we're not playing. There's no basketball, you know. So I was I was done with religion. The church lied oh, was to a, you. Oh, oh yeah, nonstop. Um, I can't remember what that thing was called, but don't ever go on one of those. You know, I don't even retreat anymore. My friends tell me they're going on retreats, and I'm like, no, advance, advance, advance attack. attack. That is, <laughs> no I retreats. Like that. I like that. No, no running away. Forward, forward. So, so you started talking. About- Sorry, I have this picture in my head with flagpoles. And- yeah. <laughs> um, so you started talking about some of the earlier influences of listening to New York radio um, and, and some of those early bands. Um, how old were you when you sort of started hearing? Uh, I was 13, 14 okay. when I started hearing about that stuff, when I started being interested in music in general. Mm-hmm. And um, so the whole early New York punk scene was going on and were you involved in that scene absolutely not okay um, <laughs> I was you sound proud we of that. Were, well I think that it's, it's interesting that this is my favorite thing about the early New York punk scene is that when we would cut school mm-hmm. we would get on a train and go to New York because the New York truant officer couldn't care less about us okay he would catch us and he would say where are you supposed to be and we'd go Roosevelt Catholic and he'd be like not my problem stay out of trouble you know don't right. go over there like you like, there were no priests coming after oh, you. oh no yeah we would, we would just leave and go to the train station because uh-huh. then you, you weren't just wandering around the suburbs where you were just obviously five kids Not in corduroy pants yeah. and ties right. you know right so we would go to new york and we would you know go by cbgb's and we'd be like what the hell is going on over there <laughs> kind of thing and right. you know go in the village and you know new york was a little edgier back then mm-hmm. so a lot of my friends were terrified but my mom had been taking me there for years. Like, mm-hmm. you get on the subway, you go in the bodega, and mm-hmm. you know, get a cup of coffee right. or a beer. You know, we would we were drinking in New York at sixteen. Okay. There, you know, people would ask you for ID occasionally, and I could I, I had my chin on the bar. I was such a little kid, and I'd be like, I'll take my money elsewhere, and they'd be like, All right, calm down, give you a beer, you know. So were you, I mean, did you feel some kind of allure or pull toward the, seeing the punk scene happening in New York and hearing music and, I mean, talk to me about that. How, how did you first so, come involved with so punk? So I, we had a, 
cover band mm -hmm. in high school. What was, right? the, what was the name of your band? It was band? called Quest. Quest. And yeah. what, what, how old were you when you were in this band? I was 16. Okay. And we couldn't find a saxophone player so we could play Springsteen songs where it was a real problem. What did you play? I did sound at the time and okay. I was learning to play bass. Okay. And um, so we found this sax player who had, he was a jazz, played in the jazz band in high school and he knew nothing about Bruce Springsteen. And he said, well, I'm willing to learn. I'll, you know, I'll play you guys some jazz and we'll get to know each other's music. And, and everyone in the band was like, yeah, that's great. And I was the only one really willing to actually open up my mind enough to hear some music. Mm -hmm. So I started going to New York to jazz clubs when I was 16. And we would be going to go to 7th Avenue South or the bottom line to see the Brecker brothers or whatever jazz group we were going to see. And we would walk through the village and just see all the punk rockers and we'd be like, huh, I wonder what that's about. And we would go to the jazz club. <laughs> so I, was, I would like walk through the punk scene to go see some jazz. Just visiting. Yeah, Did you do your yeah, parade wave? Yeah. You... <laughs> Don't mind us. Just go Yeah, I didn't get into any uh, punk rock in any Mm -hmm. real way until I moved to Philadelphia. So so tell me a little bit more about this band called Quest. Um, they they what were happened my, with Quest? Uh, they actually became, they were great musicians and songwriters mm -hmm. and they had a short career. And you play, you did sound for them? I did sound for mm -hmm. them and then I tried to play bass and by then they kind of, it kind of fell apart and different bands formed from it. Where did they play? What kind oh, of uh, we played high school dances and then like, when like they the, uh, what are those uh you know rock uh they have battle of the band yeah we played yeah, a battle yeah. of the band against white rabbit <laughs> nice and, uh, yeah it was great <laughs> they were our high school and they were really into sticks and we were really Did you guys ever win? we lost to white rabbit and their sticks covers Damn. yeah it was great <laughs> we fought over that one that was good <laughs> we had the sticks come sail away Is that oh right? yeah they yeah, were yeah. great at it too they had the, the the dude had the feathered back hair and the vest with no shirt and a bow tie on oh, no, it was great <laughs> It was great, and we all dressed, you know, the guys in the band I worked with, they all dressed like Springsteen, and they had an organ and keyboards, and you had to have the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, it was funny. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, but, but very much part of the times. Yeah, you know, oh, definitely, right. yeah. So, so Quest ends. You're, n you're no longer the, the sound man. You're learning to play bass. Um, are you still in high school? This, yeah, this, this was the end of high school. End of high school. And then I... Uh, you know, I was the, I was the artist in my school, or the second artist. I wasn't the best artist. Artist, what kind of art? Oh, you know, art class. Art class. Like I was good at art class, so I decided that I would go to art school. Okay, and and so you graduated high school and went to art school. Where yeah. did you go to art I school? I went to PCA, which is now the University of the Arts. Which Philadelphia brought you to College Philadelphia. Yeah, it brought so me to So what year did you come to Philadelphia? I came to Philadelphia in 1980. 1980. So tell me about your first early experiences coming to Philadelphia to PCA. So I came for the summer program to guarantee my acceptance in the school. Okay. And uh, so the good thing about the summer program is it was people of all ages. It wasn't just high school kids. It was adults. And so I met a bunch of grown-ups. The first time I ever hung out with grown-ups, you know, I always just hung out with people my age. What did you think about that? I thought it was great. Like they, you know, they were like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. You can go here. And, you know, they found out all the... They, found out where all the bars were and they found all the bars that served minors like Dirty Franks and you know McGlinchey's you know and they so were you uh, hanging out at Dirty Franks and McGlinchey's oh, in yeah, 1980? Oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah and you know I so then when the summer program ended 
I went back for freshman year and I was like, I already had Philly right, down. Right. Did you, you know? live in the dorms or an apartment? Yeah, I lived in a dorm. It was mm -hmm. at 15th and South. And oh, the great okay. thing about 15th and South at that point, I'm sorry, 15th and Spruce, mm -hmm. was that that's where the gay prostitutes hung out. Yes. So we had a lot of fun with the gay prostitutes. Yeah. They, li they liked us young boys. And one of my roommate, this kid named Aaron in the summer program, befriended this guy called Paris. And, uh, brought him to our dorm room and I walked in and I was just like what was he going to do with Paris he was just hanging out with them but I'm sure Paris had other plans for him was Paris a, a young guy oh, uh, I, no, I, I knew well, that there were some young prostitutes yes no he was not a young guy he older. was probably he was between 25 and 30 he was a pretty experienced street <laughs> prostitute he looked like a hippie okay he wasn't a he wasn't like a, yeah. a preppy he was a genre prostitute yeah he was a genre <laughs> prostitute he had a big macrame bag that had a crowbar in it right now it would be like that. the hipster prostitute he might have been a but... pimp for all i know i just knew that he was on the corner with the boys yeah yeah and, maybe uh, he was looking to Oh yeah, you guys up with jobs. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, you got to work your way through college That's somehow. Right. Some <laughs> women dance, and yeah. you can prostitute. So I went to uh, yeah, the dancing uh, options for a young man were really nil Nothing. then. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I I walked in and I was like that guy's in my room and I went down the hall to one of the grown ups this guy Bob and I'm like Bob <laughs> Aaron's Aaron's got this prostitute in our room and he says fuck that and he just gets up and goes in and he's like you get out of wow. here and he ha that got him to leave right you know? somebody had some sense yeah exactly Although, you know, it could have been a, a quite an interesting night at yeah definitely <laughs> and uh so then he was after me after that oh so in, i in in that in what way oh in like violence way oh yeah because you wrecked his night yeah for whatever because i got involved in his yeah. thing whatever he was doing and mm. uh, i was coming back from class one day which was you know the school was like broad and spruce mm -hmm. and i was and i had to walk by there every day I'm coming down the street and he sees me. He's like, you. And I'm like, me. You know? And he comes running across the street at me and pulls the crowbar oh, out, of no. his, out of his bag. And I'm like, okay, I got a portfolio. I guess I'm going to hit him with the portfolio. Hit him with some art. Yeah, I'm going to just start showing him stuff. <laughs> that would have uh, been amazing. <laughs> and you show him your best sketches. Yeah, exactly. Look, naked art. guy. Distract him for a minute. <laughs> and uh, he... Um, Another prostitute yells his name and pulls a knife out, and the two of them start fighting in the middle of the street, right? And I just, like, go to the door. I'm out of here. Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, that was convenient. And my friend had walked up, Fate. and he's like, what's going on? I said, I think I'm going to fight this guy with the crowbar. And he was like, what? And then the other thing, and he's like, what's going on? I said, I think we should just leave. Avoid, yeah, avoid, avoid that this. corner at all at Take all, the yeah. long way to school every day. Yeah. Did you ever see him again? No, I never saw him again. That so was you just the started going a different way. No, no, there was no. I was like, there, I'd learned that there was no, like, dodging bullies and weirdos. Right. I was just right. like, I guess I'll carry an exacto knife yeah. with me for a while, yeah. just in case. You have to show, and I think yeah. that that's a good lesson to learn, yeah. living in Philadelphia or yeah. any, really. I mean, not just an urban area, but you have to face your fears and you have to face Even if the they people. have crowbars. Even if they have crowbars. <laughs> <laughs> prostitutes with crowbars. Yeah, gay prostitutes with crowbars. <laughs> it just which is not, which is not a bad uh, punk rock band name. No, we used to chase the prostitutes. I've never been chased by a prostitute right. with a crowbar. So that, that puts a whole other spin on growing up in Philly yeah. and hanging out. So when you were at PCA, um, 
What, um, talk to me just a little bit briefly about your art. What was your, your medium, your interest? Oh, I, I, did, mean, I, I did science fiction art. Did you really? Yeah. So, like, well, when aliens? I, when, when, yeah, like, like, when I started, I was... Draw, really, painting, drawing? Uh, like I did this? all. I, I, would, I went into the illustration department. Okay. Because I thought that if you were going to waste your time doing art, you should at least have some concept of a career at the end of it. Okay. Which was, you know, at 18 seemed kind of prescient but was as ridiculous as going into art school at all so <laughs> <laughs> there's no guarantee of a job yeah, yeah, there, there's no, the nothing. job market's yeah, not definitely yeah. not yeah but I, so, I know art some artists do you know sculpture and things uh, like yeah that. So I was a gra- I was a graphic, so graphic. artist I drew okay. and uh, eventually over the years I was like oh I'm never gonna be an illustrator like I don't I didn't have the what drive the- to to take my portfolio to people and just have them tear it down all the time. And is that sort of what the typical experience is for an artist? Yeah, definitely. Can- and I knew that I was in the in the middle r- rung of mm-hmm. like of the people that were going to art school. Like mm-hmm. there were, you know, I, you could you'd go and see people's work. You'd be like, wow, that is a brilliant right. work of art, and right. mine is a mediocre work of art we had a we had one teacher frank Frank absolutely and and we would say i would one time i asked frank galuska brilliant artist who taught there um frank uh is what i'm doing is is this art and he said yes that's art it's just not particularly good (laughs) so you had your critic yeah well no i was just like that's completely (laughs) honest because most basically art school is a way to milk money out of people and boost your ego like keep you it's not to hone your skills and, uh, no. and teach you the different mediums of Yeah, well, you the can get world. that from it, but that's not what art school's designed for at this point. It's just like any other university. It's to bilk you of the absolute maximum amount of money. So what is your advice to young artists then that, that want to, uh, uh, to learn? Draw every day or whatever it is you choose to Practice do every own. day and, and find whatever inspires you. And then the other part is sit down and do the hard work of drawing or sculpting every day. That's mm-hmm. really, you know, you can talk about art till you're blue in the face. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're creating any art. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the science, why science fiction? Why sci-fi? Why oh, because sci-fi? I was a boring little kid who was, you know, wasn't doing anything. So science fiction was the big escape, you know. You could read these books where people did amazing things. What books were you reading? I read all the John Carter of Mars books till they disintegrated in my hands. <laughs> and then I, you know, I branched out and I read uh, Roger Zelazny, uh, um, William, uh, Samuel R. Delaney later on, which is, you know, a real crazy stuff. Lots of weird ideas and homosexuality and all kinds of great stuff. What were some, I'm, I'm not familiar, so... Uh, he wrote Dahlgren is probably his most famous book, and it's a, it's about a dystopian uh, city that's gone to ruin, but all this bizarre science fiction stuff is going on in it that does, isn't happening anywhere else in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so you would draw these characters? Yeah, I would, I would, yes, I would, I would illustrate the stories and I would draw the characters. And it was like really bad Robert Heinlein, you know, giant guys with women with misshapen breasts, and, <laughs> you know. A young, young boy yeah, struggle boys, with yeah, understanding women. And fantasies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, all that good stuff. That's perfect. Yeah. I love it. I'd like that's to what I, that. That's what I had to. Uh, you know, what's funny is like none of it exists. I was going to ask. Yeah. No, oh, that's uh, such a shame. Yeah, one of my friends has one of my pieces of work from, mm-hmm. from college mm-hmm. that he, at the last day of school, we all were like, 
open portfolio day, take whatever you want. Oh. And we took each other's pieces of work, you know. So he's the only one who has wow. something. Maybe he'll take a picture of it. And it's on Facebook. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll yeah, send, you have it to send it to you. Yeah, it's really oh, that's good. That's fantastic. <laughs> are, you, uh, are you still doing any art now? Uh, I express myself through music, music. And, and, the, and performance of music. So then let's, let's talk about the musical aspect then. So you come to Philadelphia, you're at PCA. You have now sort of started teaching yourself how to play bass. What happens next? In you know, do you find the punk scene in Philly? Do you, are you now a decent bass player? Still have no idea what you talk to me. Yeah, um, I still had no idea what I was doing playing the bass. I had some rudimentary knowledge, mm -hmm. and I was fully cognizant of the punk rock scene in the world in general. Mm -hmm. I knew the big bands, the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. And did you identify as punk at this point when you I came did? To I did not, but I quickly did as so soon as I it. got here yeah and um, when I was here for the summer there was a bunch of stuff going on mm -hmm. and I got involved in it and the people what I met. What kind of stuff what was going on? Uh, East Side Club was going and you know. Were you hanging out there? Not yet I didn't really go there until I started playing and well I started going there when my freshman roommate had an ID that I could borrow because I didn't look. <laughs> they didn't let you in under these. I, I didn't look 21. Uh, Neither yes. did I. Yeah. <laughs> I have to know people. Yeah, I was full, yes, exactly. Yeah. But once I once I played there, mm -hmm. then I could get in whenever I wanted. Okay. Who yeah. were some of the bands that you saw at Eastside Club? Uh, I saw, who did I see at Eastside Club? I saw Killing Joke. Oh, wow. I saw this. Did you want to commit cats. suicide afterward, or <laughs> no? But I was like, I was like, very, very interested. In, I was very interested in the keyboards after that. Oh, like I was okay. like, oh look, like not keyboards aren't just always goofy. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They actually can have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's not all Devo. Right. <laughs> so no, Devo was good. I was yeah, thinking yeah, like yeah. you know, uh, Yes and, and uh, Emerson, oh, Lake and Palmer. Sticks. sticks. Exactly. The most embarrassing <laughs> keyboard use ever is sticks. You know. They should be punished for that. Yeah, they sure. should. Um, so and and so you saw Killing Joke and then I'm local sorry. bands, No Milk and yeah. and like the really early, yeah. you know. I, I never saw Pure Hell. I don't know where but they, they were. were around. They were Spider around, was always but around I don't South think Street. that they were still playing. I think they were just yeah. being whatever it is they they were all those years. Were you hanging? Or, so this is like what your first year at school, yes. 1980. So you, um, were you hanging around South Street? Uh, occasionally, I would go down there. I had a, a really weird relationship with groups in general. Mm -hmm. I didn't like to be associated with groups of people. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, did, I didn't enjoy the Boy Scouts or any of that kind well, of stuff. Can't say I blame you, know. you on that and, one. Um, <laughs> I, uh, why, not, why not the Boy Scouts? Yeah, I didn't like teams. Like I didn't like being on the track team when I was in high school, even though I ran track for four years. Can you years. identify what it was about not wanting to be on a team? Or I didn't want to conform with anything. So, so you were punk even before you exactly before I knew yeah. what that meant. Like fuck that, so I'm not even, doing that. Even like the people that were at the Eastside Club. It was a half being shy and a mm -hmm. half being like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be in a club that will accept me. Yeah, you want to be a lone ranger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I made my friends in high school and we kind of made our own, I mean my friends in college uh -huh. and we made our own scene, we made our own band. and. So, so your first band was when you were at PCA? Oh yeah. In 1980. Yeah. What band was that? That band was called The Champ. 
the chant. Yes, and we were goth. I remember the chant. <laughs> you remember the chant? So Bobby was the drummer. Yes, Bobby was the drummer. And who else was in the band? Um, it was Bobby Williams. Bobby right? Williams, yep. Okay. And uh, Ken Kramer, who okay. I still play with in Trained Attack Dogs. And what did he play? He was the singer, guitar player, and keyboard player. Okay. And Jeff Ryan, another college friend and my roommate, was the bass player. Okay. And I was doing sound again. You were doing sound. And eventually I... I I grew up to be the keyboard player. Okay. Which at first I replaced uh, two bat, two nine volt batteries that were taped together. <laughs> there was one song where there was just E playing the whole time, and Ken Ken it's would very play guitar. Avant-garde. Oh yeah, Ken would play guitar in that song, so we would put the batteries on the thing. And you batteries ever, weren't cheap; they were hard to come. I know. Well, by these were then. old; these were used batteries. Like we drained them completely first in some effect battle or other, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know Barry from uh, Mr. Maida? Mm-hmm. Well, Barry, when I re- replaced the 9-volt battery as the keyboard player, he was he was up He's front cheering. cheering. He thought it was the Finally. funniest thing that, like, he was like, I thought you were just going to stand there and put the 9-volt batteries on there, but you actually bothered to hold the key down with your finger the whole time. He was like, that's beautiful. I remember seeing the chant. I, I had seen we, you guys play um, a few times. We actually progressed into a pretty decent band. Uh-huh. I thought yeah. that like the last things that we did, I mean, it was completely overwrought, like vocally. Like Ken was his. The, what were some of the vocals? Talk to me. What it overwrought in what way? Oh, they were all about like the like the Black Plague and uh, <laughs> penitence, and they had lots. There was lots of religious imagery. Mm-hmm. It was straight up goth. We mm-hmm. had a we had a dress goth code before goth. We you had guys a, were no no. It was goth yeah. when there was goth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was. We were in definitely. In 1980. Well, the, the, I think I the goth came later. I don't know. Yeah, but the the seeds of it were there. Right. I mean, Killing sure. Joke was well, around, and yeah. that's considered a. Yeah. Now the goths have adopted them, right. even though they were a post punk band. Back then, I don't think you would have called them goth, would you? No, no. but yeah. you know, but they were. Uh, um, they definitely were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He put them in that in that category. I can't think of the uh, Bella Lugosi's Dead the Band, Bauhaus. Bauhaus. They were around. Absolutely. You know, like there was no goth. Bands just got lumped into were that they, sex gang children, like. You're right. Yeah, that kind of were stuff. Were you listening? I mean, what were you listening to at that We were point? listening to KDU and XPN. When, but what kind know, of bands? Um, all that dance stuff, magazine. Mm-hmm. The stuff they would play at, at Eastside Club was mm-hmm. basically what we were listening to. And any punk rock that, you know, that we heard. All the early, you know, stuff. Did you all have the, like, a favorite or, or anything that I love The Clash. Did. Was that one of your biggest yeah, influences? Yeah, that was definitely one of my biggest influences because they mashed together a whole bunch of styles mm-hmm. and they basically did whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. Like there was no, that's not punk rock. They mm-hmm. were like, no, it's punk rock because we're punk rock and so it's punk rock, mm-hmm. which is what I felt about the Philadelphia scene is like, we decided what was punk rock. Right. No yeah. one else decided right. for us. And we did. We had a we very different sound. Yeah. Now, did you happen to be at the Who concert in 81 that The Clash played? I was. It was horrible. I hated Were you there? that. I was there. Yeah. I was there. I hated everything about that show. The, did you really? Yeah. My, my most hated thing about it was that the best thing about it was Santana. <laughs> that made me so angry. The Hooters. I hate the Hooters. The Hooters were, were terrible. Awful. And then Santana came out and I was like, oh my God, like... I don't know why I separated Santana from The Who. They were both 70s uh-huh. rock bands. Uh-huh. But like Santana, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. They were really and good. And they were fantastic. They were. It was totally entertaining. Yes. And then The Clash came out and they were just not ready for the... I didn't want to... I'd seen them at 
place, yeah. more intimate yeah. places. Yeah. We'll call it more intimate. That's fine. <laughs> because That's, that was not intimate at yeah. all. People no, hated it, hated it. They booed. They Everybody booed. booed. Yeah, they booed it. I was the one standing on the cooler rocking out. Yeah, me too. That was, and, but I was just like, it's, it sounded yeah. so terrible there. And then the Who were just awful, completely awful. That's funny. I had yeah. such a different experience. Yeah, but but I, I did. I enjoyed Santana. Yeah. I had an appreciation yeah. for them, even though it wasn't the kind of right. music that I was really listening to. Um, I actually thought The Clash were great that day, um, but I was really bummed that everybody was booing them because yeah, I, I was thought they were, they were the best thing yeah. there. <laughs> I, just, it just, I was like, this isn't where they should be playing. Like, I thought it was, I thought it was a mistake to play something oh, well, like that. Well, it was that. sort of a sellout. Yeah. You know, and what album was that? That, that must have been Sandinista. Sandinista. Yeah. That got pretty, yeah, it yeah. started getting radio play and recognition. Right, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I remember reading a, a review of, of, um, Sandinista, I think in the Rolling Stone, mm -hmm. and they said that Mick Jones was becoming a good guitar player, and I was like, "What fucking asshole said?" You know, Robert. Cre I don't even know who it was. Yeah, you know, I don't want yeah. to malign someone, yeah. but I was just like, "You're an yeah. asshole!" Like yeah. you haven't been paying attention yeah. at all. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's who influenced Frank Blank to play guitar. Yeah. So I mean, amazingly, um, everyone's a critic. So all yeah. right, so let's especially go music critics, <laughs> critical. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was at that show. That I I thought that that was a throwback to to high school mm -hmm. being at that show. Yeah. But I mean, that, was that only '81? See, I, I think here's one thing: is I'm terrible about. Time. Yes, I can recall things, but putting them in their proper place. It, it like, might have been spring of. I was a junior in high school, so it actually might have been spring of '82. I graduated in '83, so I mean, I, I would have to do later, the math too. It seemed later because the Hooters. Yeah, I remember the Hooters playing around and then becoming. Yeah. A, a national act. Yes. It seemed which later is, I mean, in the. Thing. Yeah, which yeah. is sort of sad when the Hooters. Not to bash them, but when a band like that can make it big and yeah. some of the other struggling artists who really have something to say and, and play good music, yeah. nobody can appreciate, the, the general population does not appreciate. My favorite thing about the Hooters was, you know, they had a, a, a black guy plays drums uh -huh. and they had this Ichabod Crane looking white guy with red hair and a big Adam's apple playing bass. <laughs> And uh, they kicked them right out of the band and got some more white people. And got pretty boys. Got pretty boys. Right, because the chant, Bobby Williams is African-American. Yeah. He's a black guy, right? Yeah. And were the rest of the band... Oh, yeah, we're all white kids all from white the kids. suburbs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we got... So the chant, um, we originally were just using drum machines because that's what we had. Mm -hmm. And... Was you, Bobby playing drum machines at that point? Too? No, no. This was it was a straight drum straight machine. Drum yeah, machine. one okay. was like on a little PA head that we had that had like salsa and mm -hmm. thing, and you could push two buttons at once and it would play these insane rhythms, and we would write songs to that. <laughs> so, did anyone actually have experience with the keyboards, or was that Ken, just no? Ken Kramer was the uh, is in my music career. Ken Kramer has always been the consummate musician, okay. and you know he can. Listen, he actually knew what he was doing. He, oh, absolutely. He knew how to play yeah. the guitar. He yeah. taught himself to play the piano okay. and read music. And he could sing in key. Very exciting nice. stuff. Yeah, I mean, but that was some of the beauty of the whole punk and hardcore scene was that you didn't necessarily have to come with 
a musical background or have a strong knowledge base yeah. and be adept at playing an instrument, right. you could pick it up. Right. But then go. you actually did have to become adept at it. Right. There was that if thing. If you wanted where, people to keep listening. Yes, exactly. There was that one thing where like you were like, that was great, man. They just went out there and thrashed it out. Like no one played the same song at the same time. It was fantastic. Like there was an enthusiasm level. But the second show you were like, Yeah, yeah, stop. Yeah. You gotta stop doing it's that. Gonna, <laughs> So, so with with the chant, I mean, you guys eventually progressed. You you became more dynamic with the keyboards. Uh, well, eventually, I started playing the keyboards. So then, Ken, what? So then, the songs were a lot fuller. They weren't either guitar or keyboard. Did Ken teach you? Uh, I had taken piano lessons okay. as a kid. Like I had oh, okay. musical experience. What, what, and, yeah. What? But we were doing. It was synthesizer background mm -hmm. noise okay. and. Um, while I was doing that, I was playing the bass as well, like okay. learning to play the bass okay. better. So you took, did you play any other instruments as a child? You took piano lessons? No, I just took, I took some guitar lessons okay. when I was really young. So you had, young. Yeah, it I, wasn't I, your I was, first exposure. Right, and I also had played, I would also dealt with the band and played a lot of different stuff, like when we would have jam sessions okay. when we, you know, because okay. we were 17 years old in New Jersey, like there was right. nothing to do but drink soda and go in the basement and make noise all night. Right. So, um... So the chant, we started messing around, and remember Head Cheese? No. They turned into Book of Love? No. They were a PCA art okay. band. They were set up as an art okay. idea. And they practiced in the University of Pennsylvania. They had just convinced someone to let them use a room in the commons area to practice. And we knew, we introduced ourselves to them and we were like, how'd you get that deal? They're like, we went to this person, go do the same thing. And we yeah. went and they were like, sure. So we actually practiced in PCA. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we really were an art school band. And, they, and, and all of the members were at PCA, you Except said, right? for Bobby Ray, yes. Bobby. Yeah, Ken okay. and Jeff and I were all okay. PCA students. Now, how did you meet Bobby? How did he come in? We play put up a sign in Third uh, Street Jazz <laughs> saying drummer needed for punk rock band. And Bobby Williams responded as he responded to every sign saying drummer needed. <laughs> Bobby was in every. He was band. one of the few drummers really exactly. around. Exactly, and he was also like a time. drummer that could play and, oh, and just absolutely. said yes. Absolutely. Yeah, he yeah. said if you asked him Phenomenal. to be in your band, he was in your he band. He would do it. Yeah. Like we scheduled our practices around. He practiced with someone yeah. every day and sometimes twice a day. Yeah, I remember he was in a couple different. Yeah, bands. He, was he was in, in every band. He was in Mr. Meta. Right? He was in Mr. Meta. He was in. Um, Five Story Fall. Five Story Fall. Right. He was in bands I don't even remember. Like yeah. he was in every. He, yeah. Like if you went somewhere and there were five bands playing, Bobby he was, was in, in one all of them. them. Yeah, he, he was in at three. least one. Or yeah, he could be in three. <laughs> he fronted a band at one point. He was the singer, and I was like, yeah. I was like, hey, where'd you find another drummer? <laughs> you know. But he really. I mean, he really. He's he was an actual musician. He oh, wasn't absolutely. Just someone yeah. that just he, picked it up. Yeah, and he wrote brilliant drum lines mm -hmm. and had impeccable meter. And you know that's all you can ask for. Yeah. Like you have a great drummer, and you can do whatever you want, yeah. really. <laughs> so, so how so how long did you guys practice before you played your first show, and where was your first show? Um, I'm uh, probably our first show was probably at PCA at some student event. Like a uh, and then we played Eastside Club. We played Grendel's Lair. When was Eastside Club? What year was that? Do you remember? It was pretty early on. We play. We opened for uh, Brian Brain one time. We played Phillies. We opened oh, for. Yeah, we Phillies. opened for Bunny Drums at Phillies one time, and you know David Girk was a PCA teacher, professor. Okay. 
Okay. And uh, so we were like, hey, we're BCA students. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so you have to put us on the <laughs> Well, no, no, we just got bill. we just got on the bill. Someone canceled and we got on the bill. Okay. And uh, you know, we had ridiculous haircuts and, and dressed like, you know, punk rock new english punk rockers english, okay so yeah. that was so not, not you guys identified more with sort of the british influence as opposed to the uh u.s hardcore yes i i'm i've never been a hardcore fan no yeah for it, any particular reason or uh, just it brought all the you? jocks to the club what tell me about that like what what did you see i just saw the the, the squashing of of uh creativity and individuality and everyone had to fit into a certain mold everybody had to what have a crew cut yeah there was shave yeah, their head yeah or... like you oh you were you're not punk you know we're punk and you're not punk. You don't and look the part. yeah and before that it was like yeah everybody's punk right. if you come like, to this punk, punk rock like? yeah if you're willing to walk into you know into 17th street and wherever that first seat that mm -hmm. first elk center show the right. action ritual with right. autistic behavior and sadistic exploits as far as i was concerned like if you were there you were punk rock because that was not, not a nice place to be right were you hanging out did you go to oh shows yeah absolutely yeah oh were yeah you, were you i was the, at that show you were at that show yeah, where yeah. all hell broke loose yeah yeah, yeah. Well, tell me about that what was oh that was fantastic that? that's yeah. when I, yeah that's when i was just like and also sadistic exploits they had the british punk look oh yeah yeah they had they took Mohawks care of the whole crass and, thing for yeah us. exactly yeah, yeah. yeah you know and they and um but then they played really hard yeah music so oh they were a yeah. great band yeah. yeah and um and they were actually when i finally met them they were just like me they were they were shy people mm -hmm. who were stepping out of their mold yeah yeah you know, so like at first we when the first time we ran into each other we were like uh, 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 but then we were like hey what's yeah. going on right, you know right. that's kind of how i don't know i always find that that's more how guys are when they first meet is you know hey, hey how you doing and right yeah it takes a little while for yeah. them to warm up and i don't mean to you know stereotype men and women <laughs> but i it's sort of i think women are more um likely to start chatting yeah. a little sooner but yeah so um yeah so all all that real early do-it-yourself stuff i was at a lot of those shows yeah. uh c center uh elk center i was were at that horrible show in camden you where, were yeah oh, with minor threat uh no, no not with minor threat it was all local bands and it was like at an elk center in camden and it was, was just a stab fest who, who was playing i think autistic behavior was playing what it was, year was that do you remember this was probably around the same time 83 83? Yeah, 82, 83. And what ha what was happening there? Um, it was, well, did you go to that Elk Center show? I did not. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I was and, too young. I didn't yeah, have transportation. Right. I was yeah. afraid of North Philly. <laughs> well, no, that was in South or, Philly. Or South Philly. Yeah, that yeah. was, in, that, but that was yeah. on the other side That was on the other Street. side. Yeah. yeah, I didn't, I by myself didn't yeah, go to that exactly. side yeah. alone. Yeah, like we went in a group and we were like, all right. It was right. there once, actually. Yeah. Think, for one well, there were a couple shows there, but that first yeah. one, um, that's also when I realized that like you could pretty much go anywhere in Philadelphia that you wanted to. Like people really weren't going to come running out of their houses and attack you. <laughs> but what happened there? I mean, it sounded like there was a lot of violence, right? Well, was, there, was... um, I don't recall there being a lot of there... violence. I remember that we tore the American flag off the off the wall and ripped it up and threw it in the pit and the the old vets didn't like that one. No, bit. I guess not. The Elks didn't appreciate that. Not very that. patriotic. Yeah, either. exactly. I mean, they had their bar open on, mm -hmm. on the on the yeah. bottom, and they were serving miners alcohol. They mm -hmm. weren't that patriotic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I mean, were you seeing any violence in the punk scene or at shows? Oh, sure. I mean, but, where, um, where, where, what did you see? Um, 
I saw young men, you know, getting their t- testosterone on. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, there would be just, there were stupid fights, like high school style fights at first. Mm-hmm. Just guys would get mad at each mm-hmm. other. And it was, it was just dumb fights like that. It wasn't violence to the point of punks on punks or neighborhood. Yeah, no punks on punks. But I mean, at that Camden, at that Camden show, what people were people were stabbed and the right. neighbors were really. I mean, right. Camden was. Wasn't it, it the whole neighborhood? It was came the whole out? neighborhood came out and we fled. <laughs> yeah, that was good thinking. Yeah, I we went there and I was like, that. okay, this is completely different than walking into South Philly or North Philly. I was like, we're gonna this, die. Yeah, I was like, this is like we're really someplace <laughs> yeah. where no yeah. one's coming to see what's yeah. going on. Like, and unless the, there's a fire. Was it? What show is it? Was it Dead Kennedys? No, Dead Kennedys was on the waterfront with that corrosion and conformity. I was okay. at that show. That was fine. You yeah, could go yeah. there. You know. There, yeah. Because um, a lot of people. This was talked in about, town. Yeah. No, a lot of people yeah. talked about this show yeah. and there being, you know, a lot of violence and the whole place being overrun and yeah the people went into a it started when someone went into a corner bar to get beer and just right. got stabbed wow <laughs> probably, probably by the proprietor who yeah. knew yeah but like they came back and they were like we just got attacked in that bar and people came out of the bar and and followed them followed them and then all people started showing up and it became like a street fight yeah so did the, the police come yeah, later I was long <laughs> you gone. Were long yeah, gone. I was like, okay, yeah. this is going nowhere. Running over the yeah. bridge. <laughs> yeah. Well, we drove. You know, Ken had a car. He lived in Jersey. We drove. Ken had a car with an eight track, and he had a Sex Pistols eight nice. track. Nice. Does <laughs> From he still the have it? No, it's long gone. I don't know. He might have the eight track. He doesn't have the car. <laughs> um, They're coming back, you know, the eight track. And like I said, uh, are they really? Yeah, that's Jeez. what I hear. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, so, t- so the chant. How long were you guys together? Uh, we were together probably three years. We did stuff. Um, I think opening for Brian Brain at the East Club, East Side Club, was probably our, one of the biggest things we did. Um, it was. What kind of crowd did you attract? None. <laughs> none. Yeah, no you one had came. No, no yeah, no zero. one came. You yeah, zero. We didn't talk to any any. Well, the funny part was when we first played there, Bobby and I were underage, mm-hmm. so they like locked us in the back, and we were like really like right we're in being paid to play here yeah. like and they were like you can't come out and of course we went out and you know got in an argument with the whoever was booked and that wasn't bobby it was one of the managers yeah. or something and we were just bobby gray was just like you're ridiculous and i was just like whatever like you know yeah we'll go in the back and, yeah. and magic marker our name on every open spot that's left you know <laughs> and um after that, it was fine. We could just walk in. And <laughs> but what did it feel like? I mean, the East Side was like the place. Oh, it to was. Play. Fa- I, I was mean, totally psyched to be playing yeah. there. Like when we first when we first played there, I was still doing the sound, uh-huh. and that that's how I met uh, Albert and Ron, who were the sound uh-huh. men, and they then they were the people who would let me in later. Right. And um, we, uh, they, I was like, yeah, I'm the sound man, and they're like, all right, go to work, and I was like, go to work, my ass, set the board up at your board, yeah. and I'll mix the band. Like, I'm yeah. not, put, I'm not doing your work. Right. <laughs> and they just laughed at me because I was still growing. I was still right. like a scrawny little right. kid. Right. So they were like, all right, fine, <laughs> right. you know. And then I mixed right. the band, and uh, so we got along really good on that level. Yeah. And then 
Yeah, playing Eastside Club was great. Like all the, you know, all the cool kids were there. Yeah. And but like no one. But nobody watched your band play. No, no, they watched <laughs> us. And it's funny. Like years later, when I met those people again uh -huh. on different scenes, they were like, "Oh yeah, hey, like Jenny remembers that? seeing yeah. the Chan at that yeah. Eastside Club, my yeah. girl." And yeah. uh, and it's kind of funny. Like my friend Marianne was like, "Oh, I remember you guys. You guys were really standoffish. She wouldn't talk to anybody." I was like, "Yeah, we were just shy and didn't realize anyone wanted to talk to us. Right. Like no one paid attention while we were playing live, so right. we didn't figure you weren't the slightest right. bit interested." And then you're describing yourself yeah. as sort of quiet and, yeah. and shy and not wanting to be in, the, in yeah. the center of attention. Anyway, right, and also not so. be associated with groups. And I was like, "You seemed like groups of people." <laughs> We don't do groups, we don't of, do people. groups of people. We have our group. It's a little autism, Asperger uh, autism yeah, yeah, spectrum exactly, there. Yeah. Like, you have to, you have social, to smell a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what? What? Um, when did you actually start playing in the chant as a musician? Uh, in the middle of the group's existence, mm -hmm. there was just they wanted to do more stuff, and I was just mm -hmm. there. There and. We really, we realized like you don't really need a sound man. Like the yeah. sound man knows what he's doing. Right. He can mix a band yeah. on the fly. Yeah. So I started playing keyboards, which was really simple stuff. It wasn't mm -hmm. like I was playing Jerry Lee Lewis piano. Mm -hmm. I was playing string synthesizer that went. <laughs> it was really full on goth. There's a, there's you can go to kenkramer.com. Uh -huh. Okay. K R A M A R. Okay. And all the trained attack dog stuff and oh, the really? chant stuff. Oh, fabulous. That's been recorded is all on his oh. site to listen to. And the ch chant stuff is hysterical. Like it's, it's, oh, I'm going to go back and yeah, listen to it. Yeah, you should definitely go listen Absolutely. to it cuz the last recording we did was came out really well. Did, it's full on goth madness. Did you ever put out a record? Oh uh, no, we put out it we put out this one like tape, demo that, tape yeah demo tape that had fantastic graphics we were on art school we hand pulled all the cassette covers uh -huh. <laughs> like hand silk screen like five wow. colors and you know cut yeah. them all out yeah. and folded them which really i mean in, in sitting here today i mean there's been a lot of talk with all of the interviewees about the whole diy do-it-yourself um era and of the punk scene that really still continues so it sounds like you guys are really uh well the, the art school aspect of punk rock was that there was fantastic graphics and crazy yeah. uh, you know crazy magazines people would put out and, and insane poster series and i've always continued that like i you know i was in a band once and someone said wow you're your graphics are really great. Is your band any good? I was like, we're not as good as our graphics. <laughs> our graphics are great, you know. <laughs> so, who is doing all your flyers? Uh, well, Jeff and Ken and I were okay. doing all that stuff with you know, and we we're using the studios at the school to to print them. To print oh, we're them using and, their yeah. paper. And oh, everything. oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe not Thank their paper, PCA. but their ink. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> maybe not their paper. Yeah, yeah. maybe you not brought their your paper. Own? We might have got our own. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we were using all that stuff. And Ken was a graphic designer, so he would he would do all the font stuff. And uh -huh. Jeff and I took screen printing, and and then you know we would go out on and and flyer the entire city. You know, where there were those certain walls right. on South Street and right. Third Street Jazz. There were certain spots where you could put posters up mm -hmm. where people would see them. Mm -hmm. And you'd go out and you would do the entire wall in your flyer. Right. You know, and just and then have, someone would come and cover someone, them up. Yeah, with someone our would flyer. come up and well, we would always print so many that we would completely cover the wall, and then other ones would go on top of them. You know, yeah. and it was like a great backdrop. Right. You know, that's Matt Morello. We got that from yeah. Matt Morello yeah. of uh, 
of um, executive slacks. Executive you know, he Bobby was in that band too. Bobby was later, and he was in his guise as a gay Moroccan pirate. He was in that band. That was that was his look for that. Wait, wait, what was the gay Moroccan pilot? Pirate. That's what he looked that, like in that band. He had on. I don't remember. He would wear these big flowing shirts oh, and, right, and right, right. pantaloons and yes, lots yes. of earrings well, and scarves. <laughs> yeah, it was sure Our, was. Part, it was the, the 80s. Was the, yeah, we, we just we we saw the first promo <laughs> pictures. We were just like, "What in God's what? name is going on with that?" <laughs> in the name of punk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was full on. Uh, it was ridiculous. It, it was the bad uh, aftermath. That was of right Culture before Club. MC Hammer, right? Oh yeah, it was. Oh yeah, he definitely paved some ground for MC Hammer. <laughs> I to think come MC out. Hammer stole. Totally Bobby's stole look. Bobby's pants. Yeah, <laughs> he, stole he literally took his pants one night somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> picturing that in my mind. Um, so the chant comes to an end somewhere around 83, 84? Yeah, by the time we graduate, uh, we might have played a little bit after we graduated college, but not much. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. I, I was involved in the, in the scene by then. I was going to the all ages shows. Um, and we lived right on Juniper Street where yes. Juniper and Rodman crossed. Mm -hmm. So like we were involved in the early Rodman Street block parties. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you play at those? Uh, trained attack dogs did. Right. Uh, the chant might have played one. Um, I can't quite remember. We were there for the first Mr. Uh, the first Mr. Mr. Maida show with. They uh, lived on Rodman. Yeah, well, they lived so. next door to us. At one point, they lived next door to Mr. Maida, didn't they? Uh, That's where their no, name came from. Yes, we moved into Mr. Maida's Maida's house. Okay. So Mr. Maida was just this man. He was just this older Indian man, man who lived on the block, and he was very friendly, and he was part of the neighborhood. Like when when we all lived there, there were. It's. I think yeah. at some point it became just all rentals. I mean, Rodman Street was just a popular street for college students and and you know and the punks and artists that revolved cool around that. Yeah, and it was yeah. it was very close to where PCA mm -hmm. was. So okay. you know, we lived on Juniper. Our the chant We eventually we practiced in our basement. Other bands practiced in our basement, though I can't recall who. Then after that house, well, when we graduated from college, that house broke up, and like mm -hmm. I stayed in that neighborhood. Okay. I lived in a bunch of different houses on Juniper and Rodman, okay. and eventually, Rob Boys, who played bass in Five Story Fall, who's mm -hmm. a college roommate of mine, um, myself, Bobby Ray, and a rotating member rented Mr. Maida's house. Okay, so Mr. Maida moved? He moved he... to California, and it, the best part about Mr. Maida... <laughs> he made the migration yeah, the best part about our else friend, in the 80s? Did friend... he go to San Francisco? Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, no he, he, he rejected the hippie and went to L.A. He was in South California. So because South at that California. point, there was a big migration. Yeah, I remember Rob... Uh, what, what was his name? Rob from Sadistic yeah, Exploits yeah, moved yeah. out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's, it was his fault everybody moved to California. He, he started it. He, started. he, was he the first actually one did. Who said, I think he was. Yeah, he was the person who said, oh, you know, you don't have to live here the rest of your life. And we're like, what? What? <laughs> this is Did Philadelphia. you tell Ken Queter that? <laughs> <laughs> Ken Queter being a local rock musician yes. from Philadelphia. Yep. <clears throat> that is hysterical. Yeah, there was, a, there was a big fleeing to San Francisco yeah. during that time. How come you didn't get caught up in that? I hate hippies. You hate hippies, yeah. yeah. I'm actually a punk do. rocker. Yeah. I hate hippies. They smell. <laughs> yeah, they, they smell. Really. And they're, they're, yeah. Hey, how many hippies does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> None, because hippies don't screw in light bulbs. They screw in filthy sleeping bags. Oh, God. That's 
it's really it's my favorite bad. hippie joke. Really bad. <laughs> so um, Rodman Street. So Rodman so, Street hosted a, a lot of lot. I know Peyton oh, Babies yeah. played there. Oh yeah. Mr. Maida played there. Who? And they would just have block parties. We had block right? parties twice a year, and it went on like. We were responsible for a bunch of them. Trained Attack Dogs played a bunch of them. The She-Males played them. Scab Cadillac played mm -hmm. them. Serial Killers played them. Like All the bands all at the that time. Bands. Pagan Babies played them. And then when we moved into Mr. Maida's house, we set up our basement. Five-story fall practice there. Um, I was in another band with Bobby Ray and mm -hmm. Jeff, Will Jeff Ryan mm -hmm. called uh, Bone 151, which was post-goth. Well, that was your next band? That was my next band where I was still playing keyboards. Okay. And so Rodman Street was, I mean, it really um, was the place to Absolutely. Be. Yeah, it was an epicenter <laughs> of like where to be in a now, band in Philly. unlike Cater Street, right? <laughs> just a few blocks away, yeah. being one block over from South Street, Rodman's one block yeah. over from South Street in either direction. You guys were toured broad. Rodman, uh, Cater Street was between 3rd and 4th, yeah. where that whole debacle took place. How did you get away with that when Cater Street was, you know, the police came in and broke that you up? And could, um, you could get a, a petition signed by your neighbors and get a... Get a to have a block party. To have a block party and get it, sh shut the street off for the day. And we found out that you could legally do that. And there was, uh -huh. you had to have a certain amount of the neighbors sign it. And a certain amount of the neighbors was us. Right. You there were enough. Most yeah, the there were just enough of us. Yeah. And Mr. Maida would sign it, and you know there was, you <laughs> Did know. Did he come to the shows? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he came and sat out on his porch and his family, and uh, he was involved in the neighborhood, no doubt. Great. And um, so there was just enough of us to do to that. To do that. Ever, were there ever any issues or problems with it? Were they free uh, to come to, first of oh, all? Oh, yeah, they were totally so free. You just come. wandered on. And all the neighbors took advantage of it, whether they wanted it to happen or not. You mm -hmm. know, you could close the street and have a barbecue in the middle of the street. Right. So we would close that entire four-square block area between 13th and Broad and, right. and okay. South and, and Lombard. We were yeah. Juniper and Rodman. And yeah. just the neighbors, you know, they'd put out kiddie pools and invite their neighbors. And they would come down and look at us like, what in the Oh, they, you know, they would like wander off. Yeah. yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, I know that music? kid is in a band," you know. <laughs> and uh, so we had all those. So the best part about the Mr. Maida house is that Mr. Maida rented us the house, then sold it to someone, okay. and didn't tell him him that he'd rented it and us that he'd sold it. Oh. So one day, we sent Mr. Maida the rent, and this man shows up and says, "What are you doing in my house?" <laughs> and we're like. Well, we live here. We live here. And he's like, no, I own this house. And we're like, Mr. Maida rented us this house. And then we just had, you know, yeah. had a battle with him for a while. Right. Until we're like, look, do you want the money or do you want to pay legal fees to, to evict us? What, did he, was he looking, did he show up in his U-Haul ready to move in? Oh, no, no. He, it was an investment property. For all I know, Mr. Maida owed him money or something. Like, Mr. Maida turned out not to be that nice of a guy. <laughs> Was Mr. Maida involved in some shady deals? I don't know what Mr. Maida did, but the Vendra Pier showed up, and he was not Mr. Maida. That's who for sure. showed up. His name was the Vendra Pier. Oh, okay. You know, he's another Indian okay. man. So yeah, maybe it was payment for a wife. Or yeah, who know. knows what you know? If something went on, but he had a title to the house, and we're like, well, we have a lease. Yes. You know, and he was like, well, that's not good because I own the house. We're like, this was signed before you own the yeah. house. So, yeah. you know, and it just went back and forth for a while. And he finally said that he was going to kick us out. And we told him that we would trash his house. 
if he tried nice. to kick us out. And Good. he was, what is, he said, trash, trash. what is what this trash? <laughs> and we were like, we will we're, yeah, we'll dest- your home. yeah, we'll destroy it. <laughs> it will not be left standing. Yeah, and we were like, so you should just take the 600 a month is probably better. <laughs> And that's where you strong-armed him. Yeah, like we the full, mafia, yeah, we full-on strong-armed him about it, and he just accepted. It. And that house did get trashed. It got torn down eventually, like by the city or yeah, oh yeah, yeah, just because it was uninhabitable or yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Like it was. <laughs> I remember some. I mean, I lived in West Philly at that yeah. time, and a lot of the houses, no one, no human right, should have ever, ever yeah. been living in those houses. Yeah. So, so your next band was say that again. Um, Bone One Fifty One. Okay, and who was in that band? That was Bobby Ray Williams, mm-hmm. Jeff Ryan, who was in the chant playing okay. bass. I was playing keyboards. Okay. Eileen Dare was mm-hmm. singing, and Bayon, who yeah. became the guitar she player mails. for the She Males, yeah. was the guitar player. Okay, I had no idea that Eileen was ever yeah. in a band. Yeah, she was our vocalist. Was she that was the great. only band that she was in? Uh, yeah, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, and that was like eighty three, eighty four. This was this was eighty four definitely okay. maybe even beginning of eighty five. Okay. And uh, we were do, you know Eileen was we had come out of like the goth band mm-hmm. thing. Now you're post goth. We're post goth. She was exists. she was like goth's done. You're already post. Yeah, she's like goth's done. We have to be psychedelic. We have to. You can't wear black. Oh, I. Oh, I'm black. The chant had a dress code. It was no sneakers. No jeans, no band T-shirts. Did you have to like sign something to this effect? Uh, no, or? you just we just all agreed to it. <laughs> to it, you know, you had to I... wear dark colors, and you know, you, so the whole hardcore. That, I mean, it was not is, a punk yeah, band yeah. in any way. It was a goth. It was yeah. that style yeah. of band. If there was yeah. there so was black, goth, and, yeah, blacks and yeah. grays, and you know, we wore like crazy silk screen stuff. But black you eyeliner. Um, Bobby definitely had makeup on. The rest of us yeah. didn't really go. We had I had a ridiculous haircut all all the way through what college. What was your haircut? I had kind of like a pixie haircut. It was kind of a mullet with like long earlocks. I remember that. They weren't. They weren't. They weren't shit. It and wasn't you were blonde. I was. Yeah. No, that was later. later. I was, actually was blonde from being just that was my natural hair color. But I had a I had a devil lock. Yes. I remember the devil And it like lock. went up over my head and then had long ear. I look like an elf. It's kind of like a misfits look. It was kind of an elfish mis- an misfits elfish look. elfish misfit. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's not very scary at all. It was, I was not scary. Then I had big John Lennon glasses. You know, I, I was not too. scary. I, I remember the yeah. look well. Yeah. So, so where did, how long was that band together? And oh, right, right until our first show. And then, um, <laughs> that, was, that was it. Yeah, that was it. After, after the, well, the best thing was Eileen was like, dress, we're not, it's not goth, we're it's psychedelic, psychedelic bright so colors, dress down. Yeah, she was totally like, and so me and Jeff and Bam were like, sure, you're going to dress down, you know, jeans and bright colored shirts and then, yeah. you know, more relaxed hairdos, yeah. you know, like not that I big a deal. Like that psychedelic, like paisley look. With yeah, like oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, if we had known, uh, Michelle at the time, he would have, you know, done the thing with the, yeah, yeah uh-huh. with the with the with the oil on yes, the plate. The he would have done plate, that. Yeah. But um, so we show up for our first for this gig, and we open for uh, Red Lorry, Yellow Lorry. Oh yeah, Ripley's. I remember them. And um, Ripley, where was Ripley's? Most Ripley's was on uh, Fifth, Sixth uh, and South. It was on South Street, uh, just a just above. above and that sixth. was Stephen Starr's. Yes, place. that was yeah, that was Steven Starr's Steven music Star venue. Steven being the big restaurant owner. Yeah, he and was he was club revival owner. No, no, no that was David. That uh, was David, right, um, right, Cohen. David Cohen, yes. yeah, yeah. Steven yes. Starr was another not, cousin. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Steven Starr was Ripley's. 
Okay. Yeah. And so we played that show, and the best part was so me and Jeff and Bane show up like in our dress down thing, and Bobby Ray and Eileen showed up in full goth from head to toe. She had her hair scared up like Susie and the Banshees. And we're all looking at her. We're like, hey, what happened to Psychedelic? We were psychedelic. We're psychedelic. <laughs> like, what the, what's going on? You know? So already there's a division. Oh, yeah. There was, well, there was already a division. Eileen <laughs> and Bobby were together. Okay. And they were their part. Okay. You know, were they then, dating? Yes. That, okay, yeah. So they yeah. They were dating. And they lived, they lived in the top floor uh -huh. Uh -huh. Of, of the house. And um, the rest of us were like writing music and yeah. being in the band. And yeah. they were together. And they would literally come downstairs. So were they into giggling the when you guys showed up dressed psychedelic? And they no, were. well, she, I, I think that she was really freaked out. She'd never been on stage before. Okay. So she dressed in a way that she felt comfortable, comfortable. you know. So okay. it's not like we blamed her. We're like, oh, it's your first gig. You're going to be great. And she yeah. was, you know, she was totally nervous. Yeah. And she did great. Yeah. And then after the show, Jeff and Ben and I were standing there, and Bobby Ray and Eileen. And way cooler, uh -huh. and Jade Starling from Pretty Poison, Poison were hugging each other, telling each other how great they were. And the, the, Jeff and Bane and I looked at each other and were like, Yeah, that's it, right? And they we're like, Yeah, that's it. We're not doing this anymore. It's so like, you just decided at that point. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, we were no just, self affirmations. Uh, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Well, we, we were just like, It was just so weird. <laughs> You don't look in the mirror every day and say, <laughs> "Right, I, you're, you're great, awesome. you're awesome, I love you." <laughs> so Eileen, I mean, at that point, she was okay with the band breaking up, and oh, we didn't ask her; we just, just all left. Done. Yeah, done. we were done. And Bobby, Bobby, Bobby's ego existed beyond anything he, he ever did. He was already in ten bands. Right, it didn't he matter. was in ten bands. This was nothing for him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, his his ego was it was self fulfilling. Okay. Yeah. It's hysterical. <laughs> so the band breaks up. So I mean, the, you've been on a lot of bands, so let's yeah, like chronologically go. I was also in a, tried to do a band uh, called Counter-Strike. At the same time? Uh, well, when, probably between. Okay. Because um, I wanted to play bass. I still hadn't played bass okay. in a band. And, uh, and you're still dabbling in keyboards. Yeah, I was still doing keyboards, making funny noises. And again, Barry, like after the mm -hmm. Bone 151 mm -hmm. show, he goes, yeah, you know, you guys were good, but you don't, you shouldn't be in that band because you really look like you were enjoying yourself and having a good time and no one else did. <laughs> <laughs> you needed to be in a band that was having fun. Right. I needed to be yeah. in a band that yeah. was uh, geared more to have a good time. Right. And, um, but I tried, I played in, there was a, a, a zine called Counter-Strike. Uh -huh. Remember that Steve and Dave put it out uh, around the time of Love Club and Love Steve. Hall? Steve. Yeah, Steve. Did Dave. he wear like a long trench coat? Uh, no, that was of... Steve V from yeah. from Terminal. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay. So no, then I don't remember. Uh, Were you involved with this? I was. Yes. Did I you was. write for it or do? I graphics? did graphics. Yeah, I I, I pasted up like a bunch of issues. And and how and many issues were put out? Um, I think I worked on three, okay. maybe four, but there were a couple before that. Okay. And so we tried to. Ha we also wanted to have a band. And Dave was singing, Steve played guitar. Dave was later a cab driver. Okay. I'm pretty sure that was his name. And um, <laughs> I know, it's a lot to remember. It is, yeah. And also, um, I've had a lot of head injuries in my life, okay. so. From? Uh, fighting and bicycle crashes. Okay, yeah, we haven't even gotten to the cycling <laughs> yeah. part. Oh God, we Or the fighting. <laughs> Dear Lord, what was the, the fighting about? Um, it was about 
fighting. From when you were in school? From what no, you were no, saying from, earlier? No, the or in the punk like, scene? Around when I started hang, when I started working at Revival. Okay. Um, things got much more violent. What um, What was your What was your job at Revival? Uh, I was a bar back. Then I was a bartender. Then I was an assistant manager. Then I was a manager. Right. Then I was fired. And then you're, what led to your? I mean, I rem I know you from right. from all of those yeah. days. But people listening may not uh, we know, got, the, so. the club got busted. What was Revival, um, first of all? So Revival was a nightclub that opened in Philadelphia in the mid-'80s. And it was the it was an upper-crust dance club. Mm -hmm. It was the more fashion-forward people. And we tore it down. And, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, we turned it into... <laughs> we, we ruined turned, that yeah, place. Yeah, we wrecked that place, no doubt. Defiled um, it in yeah, every in way every, every way possible. Um, and it was... There were fresh flowers on the bar every weekend, yeah. and it was... There was dress code. Right. And there was just DJs, and they just played... Beat, beats per minute music, except for Danny Kelly would sneak right. in a song with guitar and lyrics came. occasionally, and then was Bobby DJing there yet, or just Bobby? No, or Bobby. Just Bobby Danny came Kelly. when it started going punk. Going but Danny punk. was there from the Danny beginning. was there from the beginning, and, and Chip okay. Dish yes was the Chip other Dish. big DJ that came out of there. Okay, and Bob Denny was the manager. David mm -hmm. Cohen was the owner. Um, Stevie Sakovich was the doorman. And that was on Second Street, right? Third, Third between Market and Chestnut. Chestnut. Yes, and it's National Mechanics now. Right. The building is still right. there. It's still it's a, a beautiful club. building. Yeah, Although and uh, destroyed. <laughs> so I believe that Kelvin oh, Joiner yeah. from Five yes. Story Fall yeah. got a job there, and then he got me a job there. Keith Souter. David Thrower, mm -hmm. Keith Souter from Train Attack Dogs, David Thrower from Five Story Fall, Rich Pansiera, who played in yes. Five Story Fall and is now Loop Manalog. He's a electronic musician, really? lives up in New York. Yeah. Don't get out. I went to school. Well, I didn't go to school. Actually, we went to the same elementary school. Right, yeah. And I those was guys friends are with your, his older brother, yeah. Drew. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, we, all were the, we all were the barbacks, the five of us. And we all lived together at uh -huh. one point. And just change we'd get the weekly work schedule uh -huh. and then we would just arrange it to our liking because bob didn't care who showed up as, as long, long as, as somebody showed up so like yeah yeah as long as the beer was getting delivered to the bar exactly as long as there was someone <laughs> lugging stuff around and uh you guys worked hard I soon after that they started having live music mm -hmm. and once they started having live music like they the whole exclusivity thing went away because then they had to pay the bands right. so like if you showed up you could get in it didn't matter what you looked like or right. or right. what was it going on special anymore. it wasn't, it wasn't the yeah secret, it wasn't the secret handshake yeah. no longer existed right it wasn't the membership <laughs> no. club that it started although i do as. remember always getting in for free i don't think i oh, ever yeah. paid to get into revival yeah. for anything yeah there was a, a lot of things weren't paid for at revival there were other knew. people paying for things at revival so who were some of the bands that played? Everybody played at Revival. It was all the other clubs were closed. Yeah. I remember and Butthole it, Surfer, School yeah, D. Yeah. Um, Shriekback, uh, Fetus. Everybody played there. Uh, it was insane. There were yeah. three bands every night of yeah. the week. So yeah. bands that like, like Bomb and mm -hmm. Angst and just these yeah. bands would come through nonstop. Yeah. And basically a lot of times it was just me watching them. Yeah. Because it was, you know, five... During the week. Yeah, yeah. during the week, yeah. And, and Revival was an after-hours club, so they closed at 4, right? Yeah, last call was 3 a.m. And I remember still being there at sunrise with Marianne, the bartender. Yeah, sure. We would get chased out were, by the cleaning crew. Yes, and then go to breakfast. <laughs> yeah. How, how did, when did you sleep? Ever? Uh, Monday and Tuesday, <laughs> right. you could sleep. You'd right. sleep Monday, 
do all your yeah. business on Tuesday and then go right back into let, it. Let me ask you that. I mean, this is not really off topic, but um, a little divergent. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the whole drug scene in the punk scene um, and, and its emergence of meth, speed, heroin. Think, can you talk? to speak to that a little bit uh, at there that was, time? I mean, you saw it there. Cocaine, sure, I mean, everything. Yeah. Oh, there right? was always drugs everywhere. I mean, from alcohol to marijuana to meth. Mm -hmm. Philly had a great meth scene. <laughs> they really did. Back in the day. We really used to, you know, when America <laughs> was it. producing its own drugs. You could smell it on, Cater, oh, yeah. on Oriana and yeah. Cater Street. Yeah, you, you could, could smell go. it being cooked. My friend was looking for a warehouse for his business one time, and we went in there, and he was like, wow, what was in here before? It smells really weird. Um, and I was like, lab. yeah, this is a meth lab in here. Like, yeah. this place is, we got to get yeah. out of here. This place is toxic. <laughs> don't light a match. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't touch anything. <laughs> Were you involved in any way? I mean, you don't have uh, to get into deep detail. But uh, I mean, no, I mean, I sold some pot. Yeah. For a little but did while. you do drugs? Sure. Yeah. You got me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, drugs were, were but clearly prevalent it hasn't taken and, over your life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not at all. Yeah. Drugs were prevalent and everybody had them. And some people, you know, went all the way. Yeah. And some people dabbled. Yeah. Um, I'm not an addictive person. And I was smart enough to just do heroin once. Right. Which is what again. you get. Yeah. <laughs> get yeah. one. And realize that, yeah, yeah don't ever do yeah, it again. Yeah, don't do that again. I didn't enjoy it even. Good. So, you know, yeah. I, I think it... Which is just, the difference. It is the difference. And but it's also like, you know, it doesn't matter whether you liked it or not. If you did it twice, you, you, did it, you, you were, were addicted. Yeah. And I think you're right about the addictive personality. I mean, yeah. we've certainly seen a lot of people go to the other way and, sure. and others just, it was part of the party. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've seen people drop it like they never wanted to do it again and yeah. just had to deal with the physical side effects and then I saw people struggle yeah. with it for decades to try to get off it yeah so it depends on who you are mm -hmm. for that but it was certainly available right? oh everything I mean, was and, available and, yeah. and in revival I mean I remember the bathrooms just being a revolving door of drugs and Yo, sex uh, yeah, and absolutely yeah. everything under the sun happening in there with men women and oh yeah it was, uh, it was and I'm not sure <laughs> right oh, yeah it was it was fully wide open in there and right. everything was available and it, the, for me working in there, not only was everything available, it was all available for free. I never, yes. I didn't have to pay to Absolutely. go in there. I didn't have to pay to sh for shows. I didn't pay for drinks. Yeah. I didn't pay for sex or, you know, it's I didn't It's amazing pay. that we didn't bring a blanket and a pillow. Oh, I know. Like yeah. Well, the good thing was the cleaning crew would come in and they were just like, <laughs> you, you got to get leave. out of here now. <laughs> the vomit and yeah. the piss. Everything. Yeah. The bombed out bathrooms God. and stuff. <laughs> Later, they turned it into a restaurant and I was like, I don't care what they did. Like, unless they <laughs> not. Set, yeah. Unless they set a nuke off in there, I would never eat anything out of that place. That like, place. And, and it's amazing because of all the venues, Love Hall, CE Center, you know, Elks, of all the places, I really believe that Revival was the most vile of all of them. Oh, yeah. Well, Re Revival was vile because of itself. Not like, it wasn't like you were going into some horrible hall that no one's paid. This was cleaned it was, every day. People and it was were screwing in the bathrooms. Oh, yeah. They were just dry. I mean, it was filthy. It oh, was, yeah. uh, anyway, so the fighting part. We uh, Revival got really violent. But who? Who was creating the violence? Uh, everybody involved. It, the, the punks, the people that no, came to the, see the punks. Uh, the, just the patrons. Right, because there were people that came to just see the freaks. 
right? Yes. I mean, that was yeah. like, it was the freak show, let's go to revival. Right, and, you know, they started having all-ages shows, which were just, by then, were just violent. By um, skinheads violence, or, or just um, general violence? Yeah, but, like, the, the thing about, like, trying to say, oh, the skinheads caused violence, mm -hmm. is, like, well, unless they were wholesale just beating people up without any resistance, like, there was, there was plenty of people to fight with and so you feel people like it was willing a, to fight right, yeah well it was it was uh, attitude to fight so that was and, a little bit different from some of the all-age like hardcore shows of, yes, of the earlier, center days yes yeah, c center and love hall like those earlier days like there was there was minor violence but mm -hmm. no different than any any other group large group of people mm -hmm. with drugs and alcohol and overexcitement involved, over -excitement yeah. involved. Yeah. and um, youth and youth, exactly. Um, no revival was like institutionalized violence. Like the 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 bouncers. It went from like when it really I first saw hell broke loose. Yeah, when I first started working there, there was no violence yeah. at all. Yeah. The bouncers never laid hands on anybody. They sat at the front door and welcomed you in, and sure. people were well behaved. And the worst thing was that someone got too drunk. Right. And, and they would be, hey, you come on. You know, Stevie Sakovich, right. this giant man, he would I just saw come Stevie up recently. and just hug you. Yes. You know, he yeah. would come up and grab you right. by both arms. And, and he like, was hey. massive. He yeah, was like he a was refrigerator. Huge. Yeah. yeah. And he would just kind of be like, hey, come on. It's all right. And he would just walk you to the door, door. and say, you know, if you leave, come you back can tomorrow. come back to <laughs> But if you start trouble, you can never come back. Right. And that was basically the thing that when, when the place opened up and it became. I don't know. I think it was just the clientele changed, and it became they started hiring bouncers who were perfectly willing to lay hands on you, and it just attracted a different crowd. It was a lower. I'm, I'm going to use the word class. <laughs> lower class. And lower punk? class. And the, well, <laughs> or it wasn't. People in no, general. It wasn't, it wasn't particularly the punks. Because there were college students coming yeah. there, and it was it was just a lower class of people. Like one of the biggest messes were ever had in there where there was just like blood and violence and you know sorry we're ghetto we're out, bird look how low that one is we are outside in fishtown and an emergency helicopter is flying by so we'll <laughs> let that yeah the great sounds <laughs> that of is going to drown life. out anything you were trying to say i apologize i don't want to cut you off but the, uh, um, but the clientele at revival yeah there was just this one brawl that broke out and it was really this was like 87 88 and uh it was just was it a show that day, a live no, show? No, I don't. No, it was just a regular <coughs> night, night in there, and these guys were in there looking for trouble, and they were in that dark hallway between the the main bar and the main room to, and the stairways and the bathrooms going up to the second floor. Hold on, we're being attacked again. <laughs> You're much too loud. They are circling in on us. They know we're here. here in Fishtown. Is there, is there no, a meth lab that I they're looking to break up? I don't know what that thing's doing. It's definitely a police helicopter. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. So 87, 88, different clientele. Yeah, and it just it just became violent. There were fights every night, and the, the doormen were hired for their violence level, like he, that they could handle that. Yeah. Stevie yeah. Sakovich left. He was like, I'm not here to He's beat not, people up. Yeah, you're not here to get any you know, fights. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but the other guys were. were. And so... Was um, Mutone still there at that point? Uh, Muto at one point, you know, that was the other thing. At one point, we hired people who were just willing to get in fights, fights. and they weren't giant bruisers, so they would have to fight. Like, yeah. you, you know, when 
someone who's just your height and your body size comes up to you and says, hey, you got to stop what you're doing, you're willing to say, hey, what are you going to do about it? And well, then you have to do something about it. When, you know, a 6'8", 400 pound black man comes up and says, hey, you got to stop that, you pretty much think about stopping right. first. state uh, police helicopter. They're looking for someone. They must be running through the alleyways of Fishtown. If we see them in your backyard. They smell George's weed. I'm not smelling <laughs> George's. <laughs> yes, we do smell the aroma of marijuana right <laughs> now no, as we speak. State police so, are um, you know, during when people talk about the East Side Club and all, all the different clubs, they talk about that there was a lot of police payoff happening. Did, was that something that you were aware of at Revival at the uh, time? Or? Revival, one of the owners had connections. Like the night that I was working and we got raided, uh -huh. the state police came in and, you know, shut the bar down and we're, was IDing everybody and going around and the phone rang and this gentleman said, hey, watch it, you're getting raided tonight. And I was like, whoever you're paying for this information, you're paying them too much because they're already here. And he just said, shit, and hung up. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there was something going on. Yeah. You know, people had connections. But you it was old privy. school. Yeah. Yeah, I it's had Philly, no. Right? Yeah, it's it was old Philly, right? Yeah, it was yeah. old school. Yeah. Um, no, I was not privy to that, inf like where that information mm -hmm. came from. Yeah. But stuff. you knew it was happening. Yeah. Oh, it was definitely. Because we didn't knowledge. get. Uh, the club was there for. And I mean, we had. You know, the thing is, you never call the police. Because the police call L and I exactly, and and the PLC. Yeah, they don't want to deal with it. Right, yeah. so you you never called the police. The police came sometimes because people that we beat the shit out of and threw out of the club <laughs> would call the police, and then the police would come and they'd say, "What's going on?" And the person was like, "I was in there drinking, and I bought cocaine, and then this guy beat me up." And the cops would be like, "So you want us to write down right. that you were buying cocaine?" And something happened, and the person would be like, "Um," and he'd be like, "They'd be like, beat it." Right. You know? <laughs> right. So <laughs> it was the it was the business owner against the drunk's word. Right. You know. Right. And who are they gonna? Yeah. Who Who's paying the taxes? <laughs> you know. So was trained attack dog then your next band from there? Yes. After we tried to do. Because uh, that was like mid '80s, right? We what started in '86. Okay. That's and so, uh, what you, what was it? Uh, Bone 151 was done. Mm -hmm. Jeff and Bane and I wanted to continue doing music together. Without? With, yes, without the other two. <laughs> without the goth and psychedelia? With, with, yeah, without whatever it was supposed to be. Because we wrote good songs together. We were pretty happy with what yeah, we had come yeah. up with. Did you with. have like a whole set? I mean, Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, enough, we, enough. And we recorded. Bane has mm -hmm. a recording of that somewhere. Again, a demo tape. Though, yeah, remember, just yeah. a demo with tape. We were in a studio. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Whose studio did you use? That I don't recall. Okay. It was definitely a studio. There wasn't someone's basement. <laughs> I remember pushing the button to talk to the person in the booth. Oh, wow. So it was yeah, like it was a real a recording studio. studio. Yeah. Because we went into North Philly to Otto Capobianco's. Um, uh -huh. He did Why Die and yeah. I think FOD. FO yeah, no, FOD. So, so I didn't know if maybe that's where. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember where we recorded in the warehouse. Um, 
the studio where David Bowie recorded. Where's that? Heroes on on Fourth Street. Really? And, yeah, How did you get in there? Uh, an engineer that we knew had a deal with them uh, to book off time, so we were there at like three in nice. the morning to like nine in the morning. So this one was night. real. Yeah. Well, yeah. that was for Trained Attack Dogs. Okay. Like when we put out the Pizza EP on Rave. Okay. That was where we recorded that, which is why it wow. sounds so slick and shiny. Nice, <laughs> nice. So who was in, so Trained Attack Dogs was around 86. Who was in that band? So um, we were trying to continue with the Bone 151 thing, and we were like, well, who are we going to get to sing? And I said, well, why don't we get Ken back in the band? Mm-hmm. He was a great front man, great musician, had great ideas. And um, Jeff said... Well, I was thinking, he, he, we were just discussing what we are going to do. Yeah. And Jeff said, I want to do some stuff with maybe two guitars and synthesizer, kind of like what Sex Gang Children yeah. does, like for a different, um, or I'm sorry, uh, Alien Sex Fiend mm-hmm. was, his, was who he was name-checking for that. Right. And I said, oh, that's cool because I'd like to play some bass so we could do some stuff with two yeah. guitars and bass. And he said, no, I think I should be the bass player. And I was like, <laughs> yes, you, you would be the bass player. Except occasionally I would play bass because you're going to play guitar. Like, you see what I'm saying? And he was totally against the idea that I would play bass. And I was just like, what I is... I am playing bass. I was like, what is that? And I then I suggested Ken be in the band. He was like, no, I don't want to play with Ken. And then, like, later in the day I spoke to Ken and I was like, Ken, what are you doing? And he's like, nothing. And I'm like, you, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to get in a band? And he's like, yeah. yeah. And I said, oh, good. Oh, I want to play bass in a band, and you can play guitar and sing. And that's when so we... So you guys formed. Yeah, so we started playing together, because I was tired of... <laughs> Jeff had, like... He was... he was uh, uh, Some micromanaging. Yeah, exactly. There, yeah. He had some ego yeah, issues yeah. about like what was going more. on. And it wasn't as it wasn't as punk rock as I liked no, it to be. No, right? You want, open, you want that democratic yeah. kind of... Yeah, like, uh, or, like, or total chaos. Maybe. Yeah, and Bayon <laughs> drifted off into, into Gmails. Yeah. And uh, so I got together with, with Ken, and he, had, he hadn't been doing nothing. He'd been writing songs and writing every part of them and mm-hmm. recording them. And uh, so he had eight really bizarre, amazing songs written. And we just started doing that, so we were looking for a vocalist, and the M80s were playing at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was Chuck Meehan, right. Chuck Treese, John Gilmore, Bobby Ray... Wow. Yeah, of course. And Keith Souter. of all bands. Yep. And Keith Souter was singing. <laughs> and this was when I lived on Rodman Street. Mm-hmm. And I saw that. Did you see that M80 show at CE Center? I honestly don't recall. It was so good. It was like... It, it was, couldn't have been that. I must not have been there it was, I don't remember. It was what you hoped hardcore would be like. It was like super high energy, but not like jock rock yeah like really amazing yeah. songs and i don't remember and hysterical stuff and you know like chuck Meehan is just mm-hmm. such a twitchy weird bass player oh and, yeah you know chuck trees playing guitar and yeah. just an amazing it yeah. just it was amazing yeah. you know really good punk rock band cool. this, like, and that's what i thought it was like it's like it's a punk rock band like there's yeah. two black guys in it right you know yeah and uh <laughs> Three black guys. Three right. black awesome. guys. Which is, I mean, really, you know, and I'm not going to get into the whole Philadelphia racism thing, but that's pretty amazing for well, yeah, absolutely. the 80s yeah. in Philadelphia because there is so much, uh, yeah. you know, self-segregation, um, se- segregation of others, and just, you know, I, I think that the punk scene really did lend to a melding um, of personalities, of people, of color, and and 
other than some of the skinhead, you know, fascist right. um, attitude, was like a fairly welcoming. Yeah, oh yeah, I I really way. felt that Philadelphia had an inclusive punk rock scene, yeah. and it was yeah. punk rock. It wasn't hardcore. Right. Till later, and people started identifying a difference between those two things, right. which I was perfectly fine with that difference because I didn't like. But that you can style. hear it in the sound of the music. You can, too. and you could see, and the kind of bands that like came up. Yeah. You know, trained attack yeah. dogs were not typically what people considered what a punk sound? rock band. Um. I don't know. It was totally bizarre. It was like whatever Ken and I came up with, and you know, we got Keith singing. And did you have it? Were your lyrics, uh, you know, political? Uh, they were. Based they or? were political and also like personal experience yeah. stuff, personal politics, and then they were totally wacky Just stuff. You know, like that Ken came up with crazy ideas things that made no sense yeah well things that made sense <laughs> like, in the song like, you know we had a song called Indian medicine car and it was about driving your falcon through the desert and but couched in a bunch of Indian uh, like Native American, American. mysticism oh, wow. and and you know Ken wrote these twitchy bass lines on the guitar mm -hmm. that were uh, great to play as a bass player because it made it seem like you were a really brilliant bass player for writing these bass lines. And I was like, you know, I'm the one who writes the bass lines that go da 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 Like, that's my music. Right, straightforward. Yeah. You know, Ken's stuff. I can play three, is, I can yeah. play three notes. Yeah. yeah, Ken's stuff is the stuff that goes dun da 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 Like these madness bass lines that I would be uh, wrestling right. with. Right. Um, so we were a punk rock band, we played yeah. whatever we wanted. Okay. And whatever influenced us at the time and whatever flew through the transom yeah. at the moment. And that's kind of the core of, I think, what punk is, right? That that's, that's what I always thought it was. Chaos. Yeah. Anything goes. Yeah. What you want it to be. It doesn't have to fit Yeah, how in. you want it to look. Who you want it to play with. Even though at the same time there was sort of that struggle of certain groups within the punk scene wanting to define... Oh, that's punk. Oh, you're an art fag. Right. Like, I remember that term, oh, art yeah. fag, being... And I don't mean to sound rude to anybody using that term, but it was right. a term that people openly oh, yeah. use because you because you listen to a certain kind of music that was not hardcore, right? Because you might have listened to Bauhaus, yeah, or or you know, or anything else, or anything else yeah. other than Seven Seconds. When, or when we all practiced at Rodman Street, mm -hmm. so this is my house where I live. My band One Fifth Bone One Fifty One practiced there. Five Story Fall mm -hmm. practiced there. M80s practice there and somebody else. But another band Bob was in probably. <laughs> so one day I'm talking to Chuck Meehan and he's like, yeah, man, I'm, my new band, it's great. And I was like, yeah, it's great. I'm totally psyched to see it. He's like, yeah, it's great. And all these people and we practice at this punk rock house in the basement. There's all these bands practice there. M80s and Five Story Fall and this other band and some art fag band and I was like oh I was Chuck like, Trees I was like, no Chuck Meehan no, oh, Chuck, Chuck Meehan. Meehan I was like I was like Chuck Meehan uh, art fag band what art fag band he goes oh some other band that, that Bobby's in some art fag band Chuck Meehan is gonna listen to this and be like oh, I never said that yeah, no, we I, love you Chuck and I was like I was like Chuck that's my band and that's my house and yeah, I'm the art I'm, fag I'm paying the electricity there like at least at least get our name <laughs> that is hysterical. Oh, you're so great. <laughs> that is really very, we were so young. Oh my goodness. So, Trained Attack Dog, you put out an EP on Rave Records. Who yep. who, uh, who owned Rave Records? Uh, well, Dave Rave 
was the main drive behind mm-hmm. that. And uh, I believe he was interviewed. Yeah, and um, they he's produced the, a lot of other. They put out a bunch local, of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and while there was, he had a partner, some other normal guy, that basically had I don't know how he got involved and he didn't last very long and, and you know Rich Poor and uh-huh. Rich Hoke and Todd Cody right. came in right and um, Todd the, the who's now the infamous promoter out yeah. on the other coast yeah up on the left coast he, he, he fled he fled yeah <laughs> he fled. and you know Rich <laughs> Rich Poor is Rich Hoke who right. just became a drum guy well I was in Kremlin Court with him yep he you're was, in Kremlin Court he first. played in Trained Attack Dogs did he yeah. he's another one who's been in like yeah. every single band yeah he was he was the last drummer <laughs> before we broke that. up we, we were playing with Rich I didn't realize that. Yeah. So you put out a four-song EP, or uh, yeah, four-song four EP. Song. And, and we were also on the um, we we're on the Rave Records disc pan hands. Mm-hmm. We had a song on that, right? Which that that record is like our generation of what was of what was going on at the yeah. time when Trained Attack Dogs was around. She Males, Dead Spot, right. Pagan yeah. Babies, Tons of Nuns, yeah. Informed Sources, yeah. all that stuff. Like that's when everything we were, that was really happening. Yeah, that's when we were yeah. around. Which is amazing because Philly always had this, you know, we were the the city in between DC and Boston. Yeah. And we kind of didn't exist on the map yet we had this really thriving yeah. scene happening i mean even through you know, a lot of people thought punk was dead in 85 yeah. but it continued for i mean still continues today yeah. but thriving with some really amazing yeah there were there were great bands and great shows and and major <laughs> acts coming through and yeah. great bands to yeah. you know to open for them and i mean love hall city center uh all that all that great music going on in those yeah. places that I don't forget what they call that it's the Arts Bank now yeah um, at Broad and South yeah at Broad and South mm-hmm. uh, Howard did a show there one time and Why Die was playing and a couple of some hardcore you know it was like five we hardcore bands it was uh, and, uh, yeah I'm blanking now but yeah, yeah we played and, uh, we uh, I'm at my house I had a PA that we used yeah. for our band mm-hmm. and someone knocks on the I li- was living on Juniper yeah. Street someone knocks on the John's door John's house he has a PA <laughs> yeah and they're like they're like we got a problem and I'm like yeah what is it and they're like the PA didn't show up we don't have a PA can you know can we use your PA yeah. we'll give you a hundred bucks and I was yeah. like sure and we manually carried, carried on right. you know carried right. it up a half block right. up to the thing it's like very mighty pi- money oh, python oh yeah You're full like on like running down skirt. the street you know with skateboards <laughs> putting the the, the the speakers on skateboards and Shuffling running them up along. the street you know and setting it up and you know neil ruined both my mics and you know it was like the whole thing and then at the end of the thing there was no one to help me bring it right, home right. i was like hey punk rockers <laughs> right. the scene the now. scene DIY. you know yeah You're i carried it back helping. by myself so, so who, where did Trained Attack Dogs play, and who did you play with? Were you uh, an opening we, act or a headlining act? We were mostly an opening act, and we played at Revival. <laughs> a lot, of course, lot. because was, we we worked there. Was um, Little David in that band? Yes, yeah, Little, David, Little David. When was. we when it started, it was Keith and Ken and I. Yeah. Um, we had no drummer. Eddie Hacksaw had us on. Yeah. On his WSPN, show. Who's on, now gone? And, who, yeah, yeah. He passed. And. Yeah. and uh, he had us on there. We actually were soliciting for a drummer. We we're like, so if you like what you Bobby. heard, no, not Bobby. Bobby and I, Bobby and I came to blows at Revival one time. Did you really? Oh yeah, yeah, it was great. And uh, what, like physical blows. Oh yeah, yeah, we were kicking oh, the shit out of each what other. I, I missed that. We he he was play, he was playing. I was playing. My band was playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was one of the rave record shows. Okay. 
I think. But we had just played, or it was our record release yeah. when we put the record out. Yeah. He was there. We were walking down like one of the bathroom hallways, and we had hadn't spoken, but not we didn't really particularly have a problem with them. Yeah. And then we walked up to each other, and I moved a little bit, and he just shoulder bumped me. Ah. And I turned around and I said, "Hey, really, right. what is that right. about? Right. Right. Do we have, you know?" Right. And he had called me. You with your devil lock and your. No, I think I was Andy Warhol. I had the dyed blonde hair, you know. And I was. We just played and we put a record out, and I was like, "You're not pushing me around in here, right? On this night, on my turf, yeah, on my turf. This is revival, right? I own this." And he called me a little pussy or something, and I kicked him in the stomach, and then we started fighting. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so we're brawling, and people like are. And it's you and Bobby, so who's getting in the middle of that? Right, so like we're, people are trying to break it up and like they like grab my arms, he's got me by the hair, you know, and it was just like, so the bouncers throw him out and uh, like two weeks later, he like comes back and they're like, you can't come in here. Right. And he's like, what do you mean? And it's like, right. you started a fight in here, you can't come in here. And Eileen comes up to me and she's like, what's going on? You're going to kick Bobby out of here because you got in a fight with him? And I said, as much as I'd like to say that that's what it is, I was like, I work here. You can't attack a staff member of this club and then come back in here so he can't come in here. Even if I kicked you in the stomach. Right, even even if if I started it. (laughs) Well, he did by giving you that shoulder throw. (laughs) But, but, uh, you know, so then we were like, you know, then it was like, then it was... War. It was on. (laughs) But we didn't really hang in the same circles anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what happened with Trained Attack Dogs? I mean, did you have enough material to go on and do an album? or uh, we, the... could, uh, we could have recorded a record. We did a bunch of, we played tons of shows. You know, we played CBGBs. Who, you, uh, who were some of the bands that you opened for? We opened for the Dead Milkman. We opened for Psychoda, uh, Psych, not Psych, um, I'm sorry. We opened for, um, oh, you mentioned them just a moment ago. Butthole Surfers Butthole at Surfers. Revival. Uh-huh. The great thing I about working at show. Revival was that Bob Denny had to fill this huge roster mm-hmm. of shows yeah. and he would book all the headlining touring acts. Right. Then he would have to fill in two other bands for every show and he would be sitting in his office and he'd be like, John, come in here. And I'd go in the office and he'd be, and he'd be what do you think? And I'd be like, us, she males, scab Cadillac, electric love muffin, da 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 da, serial killers, right. this, that. And he would just fill it in and with he all would, the local yeah, bands. He would just fill it, fill it in with the bands because we knew who would go with you. He didn't know all the local right. bands like we but did. You so. knew who would blend well right, with Right, exactly. Which bands. Like, and who we wanted to play with. And right. who, you know, people would right. be like, hey, if they're coming, we, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, we. Which is t- great. What a great opportunity. It was though, totally great. We played bands. tons of shows. And then, you know, he was totally open to live music. Uh-huh. Bob Danny was a godsend for local music at the time. Yeah. Oh, he did a lot. He did a lot. And he booked bands bands and he made sure they got paid and, Mm -hmm. you know, he gave them beer and then we made sure they got more beer. I think Butthole (laughs) Surfers was my absolute favorite show. Yeah, we opened that I know. I remember. That That was was a great great time. We made big circus. We got these big circus posters that we hung up all over town for that show. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. And in fact, I think I just recently uh, might have lost that. Um, poster because I gave all my posters away for copy and never got them back. So, oh. which I've mentioned before, I'm not bitter or anything. It's just the fact. Right. <laughs> they are no longer mine. No, that's But terrible. that was a, fa- a fantastic show. Um, how? So, how long were Trained Attack Dog together? Uh, we were probably together till eighty, early eighty-eight. We did some. We did a couple of small East Coast tours. Okay. Um, 
down south a little bit. We played with the Shemales a lot out of town, mm-hmm. and um, we did a tour with Starvation Army. Mm-hmm. Going and it, you know, I think it terminated in Cleveland. What? Which, what? It like terminated as in? <laughs> well, no, it was over. This, this but that was like to, the okay. last show. But like, <laughs> I don't know if maybe Rich, you kicked someone in the stomach Rich, and it ended. Rich Hoke or... <laughs> was. Um, Rich Hoke was booking our shows and he got this little mini tour with Starvation Army and we kind of did a little loop around Ohio and stuff and joined up with them and the last show was in Cleveland and so we went and we stayed with them and the next day was the show and we're like so uh, where's the show they're like oh out in the alley we're just gonna set up we're gonna have a block party and uh, we're like oh great you know we said they played a couple other Cleveland band Mm -hmm. played we played People brought out barbecue. It was like Rodman Street. Yeah. Full on thing. Right, so I'm talking to one of the guys and I'm like, hey, uh, this is great. Like, what did you have to do to, um, you know, with the city to get this? And he was like, the city? He's like, this is Cleveland. You just throw some barricades across the street. And <laughs> you do it. It's a free yeah, for all. Yeah, it was a free for all. And literally, like, the police pulled up and they looked and they were like, drove away. Wow. <laughs> it was like, wow. And we're like, hey, uh, we want to see the rock and roll, where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is because Philadelphia was supposed to, you know, yeah. in vying for that in yeah. Cleveland yeah. got it. And he goes, oh, you want to see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Drives us downtown and there's just a big muddy hole in the ground. No. He's like, he's like, yeah, there it is. Yeah. We're like, what the hell is that? That's we had a got. building for that. <laughs> <laughs> we have an we empty building right. we're going to put that right. in. Right, right. <laughs> So did it? I don't even know where is there a rock and roll. Oh yeah, there is, is now. Yeah, they finally built no it. I believe they built it in the muddy hole. Okay. Like in it the was muddy, coming. Along. <laughs> the muddy hole did become yes, an actual did become structure. Yeah, an actual structure. Yeah, I don't follow that. So. And uh, yeah, I didn't either. But we just thought it was funny because you know we're like Philly and Cleveland, nice. a lot alike. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Good at we, getting uh, things done. Yeah. In fact, when I was driving down here, I was remarking out loud to myself in the car, um, how much construction is how ha- everything is torn up. It's crazy, there are yeah. just whole pits. Yeah. There are pits everywhere. So, um, so trained attack dog, you, you guys just decided to break up. It was yeah, ended. We just, it was over. Yeah, we just kind of disintegrated. Yeah. We were kind of tired of playing together. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I was I was interested in doing something a lot like harder and faster, and there wasn't really that kind of consensus in the band. So we just yeah. kind of dissolved. Okay. And then from there. Um, did you leave town for a while? I did. I I moved away in uh, 1989. Where'd you move to? I moved to Los Angeles because everybody told me I would like San Francisco better. <laughs> and I'm such a contrarian that I had to go to Los because Angeles. Because you didn't want to join that yeah, group. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want anyone tell, thinking that they knew me well enough to tell me where to move to right. and like what I would like and dislike. So where in LA? Uh, I moved into Hollywood and then eventually moved to Venice. Yeah. And yeah. what was that like? I mean, it was fantastic. Yeah, I loved I every it. minute. What did you of, do out there? Um, whatever I wanted, mostly. Um, I worked at mm-hmm. Nana Shoes, imported uh-huh. Doc Martens, so oh. I always had really nice Doc Martens. Nice. It's important to have um, good shoes. It is. It was really great. <laughs> it does and I, say a lot. And about I really the never wore Doc Martens until I could get them for free. Absolutely. Just like I never went to Revival until yeah. I worked there. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so when I was getting them for free and for you know yeah. cost, I wore a lot of Doc Martens. Nice. And. Uh, I hooked up with L7 and oh, right. roadied right. for them for years. What was that like? That I was forgot about so that. much fun. Holy crap. That was the best yes. like, hookup of... Did you run into Mark Pingator at an L7 show in, in North Carolina? 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 He said he said yeah. he got free tickets and he ran into a lot of Philly people. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, they came through. Ta- Paul Bearer met them somewhere. Paul yeah. Bearer likes to claim. That's right. He saw. He heard Paul like yeah. on the microphone introducing them or something. Right. He's like, he, wait a minute. Yeah. He Paul Bearer likes to claim that he introduced L seven to Philadelphia. They were like, yeah, you know, we were just going to play there. Right. But it's not. You're it was, not. Yeah. The Paul only- didn't invite Sorry, them to town. Paul. Yeah. But you know, that's <laughs> that's our man, Paul. You know? <laughs> we'll give him credit. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. He brought them to town. So, I don't care what. But he did says. tell all of us to go to that. Yeah. He was running around town going you got to see this band yeah, you got to see this yeah, band so like yeah. the so he was pretty- the glitterati of, um, right. <laughs> of philadelphia rock and roll right. at the time we're all at that show and uh we all you know met yeah. the yeah. the girls in the band and then when so graf and and joanne john and graf. i john graf and i all drove out to california mm-hmm. together and um we went to we got there and we found jennifer finch uh-huh. and you know, Graf only stayed for like a month, but I moved out there. So I wasn't working. I hadn't found a job yet. So I became an L7 roadie. They offered you the job? Yeah, asked she was, to work she was, for she, them, no, or? she said, what are you doing tonight? I said, nothing. She goes, you want to come to our show? You can carry my amp. I'll give you 20 bucks. Nice. And I was like, sure. So I got <laughs> it. Into- sounds like a proposition to yeah. me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so so the, and then you just became their Yeah, I just roadie. became Finch's sidekick. Wow. And then... I started to go, you know, I had a van, so that was, made me, you know, <laughs> right. made me that so made you attractive. Yeah. <laughs> and, Listen, um, having a van in the late 80s yeah. and early 90s was... Yeah, well, El, you know, um, what you call it, trained attack dogs, I bought a van for the band, and we, um, we, uh, you know, used the shit out of it, and then I drove it out to California. What was your, your highlight of, of roading for L7? You have a story? Uh, well, you know, when I met them, they had one record out on uh, Epitaph, and uh, they were getting a, you know, they had a great reputation, and the first tour, you know, we, I did a bunch of shows just in town, so that, like, totally got me um, exposed to the L.A. rock scene with, mm-hmm. with local people. Right. You know, because a lot of things, one of the things about Los Angeles is that it's full of people that move there. Yes. Like myself. Yeah, they're all transient. Right. Yeah. So I actually met people who were born and raised in Los Angeles. Wow. So That's I was unique. like, oh, I know. I was like, this is really interesting. <laughs> like all my good Los Angeles friends are actually people from LA. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, so I played a lot. I went to a, I got into the LA music scene at that time. I got a job with a sound company mm-hmm. um, doing sound and saw all the bands that were like coming up at that time. Right. And then when L7 did a a uh, West Coast tour, it got booked through Sub Pop's booking arm. Yeah. Because Sub Pop was interested in them. Right. So we went up to San Francisco and met Cat Butt. Cat Butt. Cat Butt. They were like. I've never the, heard of Cat yeah, Butt. <laughs> Cat Butt are like they're like a, one That's of those a great. They're name. this. Uh, they're Cat like butt. this famous Seattle band that um. Never heard of it. The booking agent was in. Mm. So he booked like a tour for his own yeah, band yeah. with uh, with L7. So we met them and it was just, they were really crazy. They were actually were a psychedelic band. And <laughs> Did they dress they, goth? No, no, they dressed psychedelic. <laughs> they had striped pants. Nice. Yeah, and, and had cra- you know crazy, all these crazy decorations on stage. And they did this really wacky form of rock and roll. Cool. Um, and they... Uh, so we did a tour all the way up to Seattle with them, which was just drugs and group sex and 
insanity all the way up to Seattle. And then we went into the Sub Pop office and L7 got signed for their first wow. Sub Pop record. So, wow. you know, we met Tad and Nirvana and wow. <laughs> all the bands that were, and Mud Honey and all the bands that were about in the fluid, all these bands that were about to blow up. Wow, we should have started the interview with all this. Now yeah, well, that's a whole nother. I know, yeah, that's a whole nother. I'm thinking, wow, of, maybe there needs to be like a part two yeah. with John Manhart. Yeah, like the next thing that happened. Yeah, happens. amazing. So, what made you come back to Philadelphia? Uh, I traveled all over the United States and lived all over the place and just ended up back here it wasn't because you know what the thing that made me come back to Philadelphia is that I left before I hated it hmm. I still liked Philadelphia when I left I love Philadelphia I do too it. I think well I know lots of people who yeah. you know from whatever happened in their lives but like, it's, home. Philly. it's Fuck home Philly and I'm like Philly's yeah no home. yeah There's just something yeah, about Philly's Philly home. that's home yeah I was born and raised in New Jersey but, but I grew but up you're in a Philly, Philly boy yeah. yeah you came and you became yeah, yeah. so so fast forward astronaut your planet uh, I had a better band. Oh. <laughs> so I had a better, not oh. a better band, but a different band. I had a band called Tri-State Kill Spree in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Which was basically where I, what I wanted uh, Trained Attack Dogs to become. It was... So what was this? It was a full-on punk-style band that, like, mashed together L.A. metal and, and punk rock. Okay. And we... It was all of the bad attitude of punk rock. It was annoy the... Annoy the promoter. Tr get people to show up that would trash the place. <laughs> was Always. this planned? Oh, like, absolutely. Like, yeah, hundred like percent. All planned out in mantra. advance. Yeah. yeah, we would okay. destroy. We, yeah, destroy. Play like whatever amount of time they said we would have, we would play ten minutes less, <laughs> and we would just be like, "Yeah, you don't deserve more." You know, we would we, we would just like rile the crowd up. We would destroy it in LA at the time. Every place you played, there'd be a backline of amps and drums. So ten bands would play, and Philly three bands would play in right. that time. But in LA, ten bands would right. play. You'd have twenty minutes. You'd get up there, plug in, play, get off. So we would go in, plug in, play, smash everything, and run out of the place with like our guitars, you know. And how'd that work? Nobody it, came after it, you. It to went beat great. You up? Sure, they came after us, but we had the pros of Westminster on our side, which was John Mutone. Yes, that was. And, the I thought it was the Prisoners of Westminster. No, it was. It was, it, it was taken become... from Prisoners of War, so it was the pros of Westminster. Okay. They were a BMX gang. Yes. Yeah. And we would play a show. We would call them up. Yeah. And. 30 of them yeah. would show up from Orange County and they would proceed to bum rush the door, fight the bouncers, steal alcohol. They would be throwing each other over the wall and opening back doors. And we would hand each of them one piece of equipment. So immediately there would be yeah. 15 of them in the club I and they would just start those, running I, around. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, I dated Dave Clymer so like, and all those coops. And Brian and his yeah. brother. And, and they would just oh, show God. up and like, cause a ruckus yes well and oh god you know, we definitely need to sit down for part two <laughs> it's like bikes meet punks yeah <laughs> oh yeah we had to, uh, we had the mad like be like so we were just and people would be like what the hell is going on like it would be like totally calm wow we'd go on stage it would be a complete dying brook full chaos and then it would like they'd be like are you Donna?" and they would leave and then would there be any other bands to play after you? I mean, sure. Like the one time that we we opened, one time we played this place called the Coconut Teaser. It was on Sunset Boulevard. Is that like a strip club? It or? was probably at one time <laughs> at it was one a street point, club, yeah. strip club, but it was just like an open thing. So the Dwarves were playing. 
they were the headliner. Were they the, little people? No, no. The, the Doors were a punk rock band from the 90s. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So sorry. It's right. The joke. little people, we would call them today. <laughs> and uh, they... Uh, so we, I renamed uh, Autistic Behavior Spectrum Disorder, yes. by the way. And they're playing Thursday. Yes. yes. And uh, so the guy, Booker, calls me up. He goes, hey, uh, Dwarves okay. are playing a, spec- a coconut teaser. You want to open for them? And we're like sure great we'd love to open for them so we you know he calls me up he goes okay you guys are on at four o'clock and we're like four Four o'clock in the afternoon we're not even awake yeah there were like there were like 20 bands and the doors were like not even the last one but i was like i said i know you said we were gonna open for them but don't you think like that's a little ridiculous we thought we were gonna be for them a little bit yeah you know he's like like, well take it or leave it and it's like we're like oh no we'll take it so we went to the show and we brought our own sound man and we brought the pros of Westminster. And <laughs> as soon as we started playing, we turned all the amps all the way up and just started playing as loud as we possibly could. And the sound man tried to come and stop us and the pros of Westminster dragged him into the pit and jumped up and down on him. And we played like four songs because he said we had 20 minutes, so we played 10 minutes. Right. And then we just smashed everything and ran out of the club. What what was the audience doing at the time? The audience was the pros of Westminster. That's the only people that were there? Yeah, well, and the bouncers and the, the, yeah, there were maybe there were some people there. It was a Saturday. It was a nice day. There were some people there and they were just like, what in the hell? Just happened. The sun was shining in the door, you know? Yeah, we just like trashed the place and ran out. Like the drummer had like his cymbals in his arms. and we ran out and we came back like you know four hours later or whatever for the actual show did you ever get booked there again i don't think we ever played there again because later that night johnny mutone beat up the dwarves (laughs) he beat up the little people not the little people the band the little people he was fine with (laughs) he um the 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 (laughs) bass player in the dwarves hit someone on the head with his headstock And Johnny was like, hey, da, da, da. Right, right. And he swung uh, it at Johnny, and Johnny grabbed the yes, bass and dragged right. him into Johnny the crowd. Johnny being formal, former revival bouncer yeah. during the angry yeah. times. Yeah, and during now, the angry times. Now in L.A. <laughs> being angry with us. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so that, so we were back. We'd left and come back, and like yeah. it was so many hours later, they didn't really remember that we trashed all their stuff. They didn't. They didn't recognize. Yeah, you? I don't know. They just. We just came back. We didn't care. That was the thing. Is like we just didn't care at the time. And uh, that's awesome. So we're in there, and, and so we start fighting with the dwarves, and all of a sudden they just like disappear. They're like gone from the stage, and we're like, and Johnny's just where are, where are they? And he's on the stage, and the bouncers are like, get off of this thing! And they're fighting with the bouncers, and Johnny rips this curtain aside from behind the stage, and there was like this little room back there that none of us even knew about, and they were all in there. And Johnny like, ah, hi, fully hiding there, like ah, and they're like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> so to to this day, if I see Blag. I walk up to him, I'm like, hey, Blag, it's me, Manhart. And he goes, he looks over his shoulders, and he goes, where's Johnny Knuckles? Oh, no. Yeah. That is, so, uh, that is just a riot. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so we had a good time. And we just trashed places and caused trouble and had a, had a great reputation as just troublemakers. Oh and you know gosh. we put out one single on sympathy for the record industry and then we just disintegrated and then you came back to philly 
Uh, well, you know, ten years after that, years I came after. back to Philly. So, were there any other bands between that and and Astronaut Your Planet? Um, I moved to New Orleans to do a band with uh, Joe Anaruma, who was in Throttle. Yeah. And he booked tons of all ages shows at Revival, and uh, he was the original singer in Guar. Yeah. And uh, did Man Is Doomed. Mm. And uh, he's currently doing a thing called Isolated Cockpit. Okay. And uh, I moved to New Orleans to do a band with him, but all we could do was butt heads, yeah. to try to show who was the, t- the tough guy. Mm. And yeah. uh, I got more into mixed martial arts fighting than I did into <laughs> playing music in That's New Orleans. Good. Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> so tell so <clears throat> you have quite the history um, and the stories. So tell tell me. You know, let's fast forward because we, you know, we, we've been talking for a while, and um, I, I'm just. What else is on that list? <laughs> well, we won't even get to that. <laughs> but um, tell me about astronaut your planet because I have not gotten to see you guys play. I've not had the pleasure, but I have seen your pictures on Facebook, <laughs> and I have seen you in your astronaut suit. <laughs> what is astronaut your planet? So I moved back to Philly. I got what in. What year? Um, I've been back 10 years. Okay. So right like 2003, I okay. think I moved back. Okay. Um, and it, as it turned out, Keith had moved back as well. And Ken had always been here, though no one remembered. What are you doing? I know. There are like there, there are and, uh, flying squirrels yeah. here. And, uh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little scared of these squirrels coming up on us. They're just psyched. And, and, uh, <laughs> they see I have coffee. So we... We're like, someone was like, oh, it was Joey. He was having a Katrina relief benefit, okay. uh, Hurricane Katrina relief Joey. benefit. Joey Anaruma uh, okay. was in, had moved back here after he got mm-hmm. choppered off a roof he, in, for, in New Orleans after Katrina. I had moved away wow. already. Really? So he was there through that? Oh, yeah, he was there. there through that. He has the full-on, like... Wow. Yeah. Rescued. So, yeah, looting the wall. He goes, hey, Johnny, remember that Walgreens by where we lived? I was like, yeah, sure. He goes, yeah, I looted it. <laughs> Now, now he's on record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all bets were off. It yeah. was martial law. You could do whatever yeah. you want yeah. if you were in twenty feet of right, right. Levy water. Times of desperation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, so he was putting on a Katrina relief benefit. Mm-hmm. So I got Ken and Keith together, mm-hmm. and we got Michael from the Shemales uh-huh. to play. Michael. Um, Michael uh, Mosley. Mosley. Yes. And uh, the drummer. The drummer. Right. And we played. The only other is he the only other African American drummer that played in punk bands in Philly? No. Chuck Treese. Chuck Treese. Yes, we he played with us too. Yeah. We were the we were the integrated um, punk rock band. Yeah. We had a black lead singer yeah. and a, a black drummer yeah. a lot of times. So were we. We had yeah. we had the two Jews. Right. The black, <laughs> the Dutch, the, the black, the, the and, and, the Tony, yeah, and the and hick. <laughs> so, so we had it all. The Amish. You yeah. Know? <laughs> we had it all covered. Homo picnic as well. Had yeah. It, homo know? picnic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we had some diverse. We did, see that was yeah. the thing. Like five story fall. Like we yeah, had bands we did that didn't re- that didn't particularly care. The early scene didn't care about anything except that you were punk rock. Right. And then you presented your music as it was punk rock. It didn't matter what it was. Like Five Story Fall was a punk rock band and Scram was a punk rock band. They didn't, you wouldn't, they didn't sound like the Sex Pistols, but Train Attack Dogs, we were a pop rock band really, but we were a punk band. Well, and when you look at punk, the span, the span of what fits into that category is so vast that you, you, 
yeah. It's it's an it it's an attitude about what you're doing. It isn't a style of music. And I think it's also everything that does not fit into commercial yeah. music. I mean, really, it's all alternative. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Subversive and. So we so trained attack dogs got back together. Okay. And revisited our music for a while. And when I was in New Orleans talking to Joey about a band, I was like, look, no one wants to look at four guys playing their instruments like you have to have some kind of thing going on on stage mm -hmm. to get people's attention so mm -hmm. trained attack dogs we came up with this thing which was dress sharp play sloppy and we always had on really spiffy suits and then we added a horn section and we we revisited all the songs we didn't uh -huh. just hammer them out the way they used to right. be we revisited them rewrote them a little bit mm -hmm. decided which ones actually had some kind of musical value and honed them and that went on for a while and then uh so Paul Justrick from Dead Spot, Dead Spot did a sh uh, reunion show mm -hmm. two, two or three years ago. They did one. I believe they played with She Males. Okay. They also did a reunion. And uh, they, um, Paul was like, this, I, I can't get anyone to play with me. Like, that really whet my appetite to play music again. I said, well, Michael and I are available. Like, let's, let's have a let's jam play, session. Yeah. You know, I have some, I had a studio in my house. <laughs> to some place to practice and mm -hmm. we got together and we hammered out some songs and uh one day we were after practice we were sitting around drinking beers in the yard and i was talking about how i thought bands should be more should present more entertainment yeah didn't necessarily have to be theatrical but they needed to present something more than just four people playing instruments yeah. and paul promptly quit the band because he didn't want to do that. And I called him up and I was like, Paul, like you just told me no one would play with you. Michael and I are willing to play. Right. play. Yeah. I was just talking. I didn't say we had to do that. He's like, oh, okay. So then um, Paul and Michael decided they didn't like my bass playing. <laughs> and they, you haven't, after all these years, <laughs> gotten any better? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'm still a punk rock bass player. I don't know anything about music. And I hammer away technically at what I'm supposed to be doing. Perfect. And um, Michael and I would have great arguments about that because I would say, look, Michael, I'm a professional musician. I show up with my equipment yeah. on time, ready to play. Yeah. And he's like, you're not a musician at all. And I'm like, sure I am. I show up on time, ready to play what I'm supposed to play. I was like, you, on the other hand, need me to drive your equipment. You're not a professional <laughs> musician. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and we would have this, he would go back and forth, you know, just bitching Having at each other. On what, yeah, makes on what makes someone a professional musician. But um, so they were trying to figure out a way how to kick me out of the band and get another bass player, but still use my practice spot. Uh huh. So they decided that I should be the singer. And I was like, I was like, wow, you, you guys are, yeah, you guys are genius. Like, this would have worked really good in fifth grade. <laughs> But like I'm totally on like it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't like my bass playing. I've never sung in a band. Right, right. You, there's but no you way. never played bass before you picked up the bass. Exactly, out. but I at least can <laughs> technically play the bass. Like if Can you, you technically sing? No, I technically cannot sing. And and um and, but it, it was I was like I was like, look, I'm committed to playing music in some form or another. Right. Like singing, that's the same challenge as playing bass. Like right. I'm figure it out. Right. Right. So we get this other, we get Paul Bilbro, who was the original guitar player in this She Males, mm -hmm. and also in Throttle and Man is Doomed. 
and he's a fantastic guitar player. He's going to play bass, which is great. He's a musician. You mm-hmm. know, him and Michael play really well together. It's the st- it's what Paul needed more than the way I play bass. And uh, so I'm the singer. So I'm now trying. You know, I've been writing lyrics. Trained Attack Dogs. Mm-hmm. I wrote half the lyrics. Okay. Tri-State Killspree. I wrote all the songs and lyrics, or most of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. So, and I always just handed them to the singer and said, "Here's a problem for you to solve. <laughs> Put these two <laughs> together somehow, right. you know." Right. And uh, so I was like, "Okay, now I have to do that part." So, so you were writing the lyrics and the music. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, now I'm stick. I'm, I'm arranging my vocals mm-hmm. in these, my lyrics in these songs, mm-hmm. and. We played a show, and you know, I went up on stage in a flannel shirt and, and jeans, and just kind of did the songs. And I was like, "Wow, that was." I was like, "That was boring, <laughs> so boring." And everyone's like, "It was great." I was like, "It wasn't great. It was boring. It was four middle-aged guys <laughs> playing prog rock, right, you know, right, like right. in in jeans and t-shirts." Is that t-shirts. what you play, like progressive rock? Oh yeah, it's, it's full-on prog yeah. rock. Yeah, cool. Um, it nice. borders on punk rock, but it's not. Yeah. It's, no, I have to come see you play. Yeah. So the next time we played. I remembered Paul wanting to quit the band for theatrics, so I didn't tell him, but I made this set piece, uh, like a a set with an astronaut photo image on it, uh, a photo op that I got from Amazon, and you like put your face through the hole and get your picture taken like at a kid's oh, that's awesome. birthday yeah, party. Yeah, I love this. So I put it onto a piece, some foam core, I made this like stage set, mm-hmm. right? And I brought it out, and I didn't tell them at all, and they were up there tuning their instruments, and I brought this thing out and set it up and then be, while I was behind it I put on a Tyvek spacesuit that I had made uh-huh. and I had and so then I stuck my face through the thing and did the first song and then I said alright that's enough of this silliness and I took the thing and threw it off the stage and then I was in a Tyvek spacesuit and so it was just it was just kind of fu- it was I thoroughly enjoyed it absolute you know? dressing and, up is fun yes and, and <laughs> so I, I do the next few songs in this Tyvek spacesuit then I unzipped that and I had on like pink striped pants and a pink shirt and a white sport coat. And I put a hat on and did the rest of the set dressed like a dandy from the, someone who goes to the dog track, basically. Fantastic. You know? <laughs> and I was just like, fuck Paul. If he doesn't, if he doesn't like it, he can quit right. at the end. Of was the anybody thing. else in the band dressed up? No, no, they had no idea. Yeah, they had no idea. And um, How they did just it get go over laughing. with the crowd? The crowd loved it because it was the Northern Liberties uh, oh, music yeah, fest, yeah. and it was like they were like eight-year-olds running around in a circle screaming. Right. Oh, so the, yeah. Yeah. But it was you know it was a full crowd of people. Yeah, people yeah. really liked it, and the music's really good. So I was perfectly fine doing it, and it also I was just like getting into a persona. Sure. Made it better than me standing there. Yeah. It's a performance. Yeah, it's a now. performance. Yeah. So at the end, I was just like, whatever, people loved it. And I said, if Paul don't like it, he can quit because I don't really, you know, I don't right. care. Like if, and uh, so Paul comes up to me after the thing and he looks and he looks at me and he goes, I'm like, here it comes. And he goes, where's my jumpsuit? Ah. And I said, oh, don't worry, I'll get you a yeah, jumpsuit. Yeah. So now I made everybody jumpsuits. Nice. So they all wear them. Yeah, everybody wears jumpsuits. It. And yeah. we try to do some ridiculous thing or another. So you had show. offered me a jumpsuit today. Yes, I have one. Do you want to? I, when I found out this wasn't going to be videotaped, I didn't bother with the jumpsuits. But oh, I have we could have a couple sat here in jumpsuits and oh, just yeah. talked. I'm, I was I was Wonder Woman yesterday, yeah, so exactly. today I could be an astronaut. Do, you, do we need it? Do you want, you want one? I got one right no. in the other room. Okay. Although I am a little chilly from sitting out. I know it has the sun went away and it's not as not as charming out here. So let so let me just. Do you want to go inside and no, finish? No, 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 no. no. We'll, we'll wind down. Okay. Um, 
I, I guess, you know, your, your thoughts on, you know, we look at you know, the punk scenes, it's been going on since the 70s. You know, here we are, 2014. There is still all this music happening underground. Um, punk rock scene thrives. Um, still doing all-age shows and, and basement shows and things of that nature. What are your thoughts on why it has still survived in the way it has? I mean, do you feel like it still has integrity and, um, you know, how has it changed and why has it sustained? My feeling on what we consider like a punk rock scene, and which I basically just think is the underground, mm -hmm. um, is that once the barn doors are open the horses have just keep coming out like there's no stopping it in that people know that they can create their own thing for their for themselves and their friends mm -hmm. and you do that and other people will notice if there's any quality to it you know a lot there's been lots of there's lots of punk rock bands that are terrible and mm -hmm. you know they show up for a little while and they realize that they stink and people are not interested <laughs> and you know they break up and they yeah. reform you know yeah. there were lots of everybody sure. played with everybody in the you know in the 80s like all our friends mm -hmm. tried different bands sure. and we all figured out where we belonged you know like i belonged with trained detectives mm -hmm. like it took me a while to, your, to get yeah, to there you know but place. that was yeah that was my spot and it worked out really well right and you know, other people had their places and their pl their places broke up and they never really mm -hmm. got it together again. You know, there were bands that together they were fantastic. And apart, they were just some people. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the thing about punk rock is it relied on your, your peers mm -hmm. to be good. So you so, think it's dead? Do I think punk rock's dead? No, because there's punk rockers, you know, to, you know, Susie and the Banshees declared punk is dead in, you know, in 1979, you know, <laughs> everyone, everyone, as soon as they stop being punk, say, oh, punk's dead. And everybody says, oh, it was so much better back then. Well, it wasn't so much better back then. It was just different. Different. We were at a Dead Kennedy show at the, what was the blue the boxing place up mm -hmm. in North Philly on yeah. Broad Street. I can't remember exactly what it was called. Yeah. And Keith and... Uh, the singer from Little Gentleman were talking about how great it used to be and blah, you know, going on yeah. and on and like some 14 year old sitting behind him with a mohawk gets up and like pushes between them and turns around and goes fuck you old heads awesome. and runs out into the pit you know that and I just was like is, yes. yes you know that, and I was like that, that, that all, was it right? that was because it I was like that kid's right fuck you different. old heads I'm right. going in the pit with that kid you know I don't want to hear listen right. you be nostalgic about how things used to be better right. like things right. have always been this way it's just evolved I yeah, feel it's like evolved. it's different and, and just like we decided what punk rock is mm -hmm. people today decide what punk rock yeah. is I think it's it's worse when I see people uh, who didn't who weren't around for it pining for 1979 right like look your oh, parents was, yeah. your parents missed that right you didn't right. even miss it like right. you weren't even born yet right like yeah. your scene is now it's great to look back on that stuff. Sure, and appreciate it and listen see, to the music. Yeah, when I see kids with, like, discharge shirts on, yeah. I ask them if their grandparents were in that right, band. Right, right, right. Like, Who's that? Like, was your granddad in that band? Like, those dudes are old, you know? Like, do, you, do you think that, that, that the sustainability, uh, do you think that the core of it is that there is that ownership? I mean, I think, like, in rock and roll and other, other kind of genres and, and scenes that have happened, um you're sort of on the outside looking in but it feels like to me with the whole 
punk scene that that there everyone sort of had an ownership to it in some way whether you were in a band or putting out a zine or putting on shows or you know there was always some way that you could participate even if you were in the audience you know slam dancing stage you're still interacting with the yeah. band and and participating in some way do you there feel was like also that? the thing where like you went from being in the pit to being on stage right. to going and helping at the door right. to being in the brawl when the you know when the <laughs> when Johnny when the, Knuckles shows well, when up. the New York skinheads decided that they didn't like some black yeah. kid with a mohawk yeah you know it was there was a a unity that that involved everybody with that you didn't have to think about like when it came time to like all stand up mm -hmm. everybody stood up mm -hmm. you know and you knew that people in Philly like would stand up and there was whenever there was something real stupid going on there were a bunch of people that were smarter than that right so when we you know when we dealt with Jersey skinhead mm -hmm. jock morons mm -hmm. you know like you'd be you'd be like oh great these five guys are gonna beat me up and all of a sudden a group of people would come over who looked nothing alike right. and seemed to have nothing in common and they'd be like you can't you other. can't fight that guy beat <laughs> you're that not kid coming up. here and Cause, doing that yeah because he's with us we're with him right. he's with us right. you know we would call up the posse and crazy different people would show up you know johnny would ride up on his bmx bike with blue hair <laughs> tony montenegro would yeah. show up on his motorcycle you know all these people would just come show up and yeah. we'd be like oh yeah we're together yeah you know and you'd be looking at these five moron skinheads from jersey and they had they weren't even together they were all just dressed the same yeah. <laughs> you know something to be said for being a small philly town you know yeah. big city uh, small city What's the saying? Right. Right. I want to say, Small city, big town. Right. I don't, Thank you. The, I couldn't uh, get that out. Yeah. Early on, it was like, well, there's this very limited thing going yeah. on. I could say, oh, I'm, I'm hardcore. I'm not going to that punk rock show. It's just like, there ain't nothing else to do. You might yeah. as well go to the punk rock yeah. show, you know? Yeah. So... Any, any parting words, any words of wisdom or anything else that you want to say? I mean, I know you are filled with so many stories and so many different experiences that we'll never have the opportunity to get to today. But Yeah, I'm else? not an inspirational speaker. <laughs> it's, if, you want to, if you want to do something, you go do it. And uh, I'll, quote, I'll quote Johnny Knuckles. And don't ever let any motherfucker second guess you. <laughs> well, I am inspired by you, by the fact that you have just continued to do what you do. Like you have not let um, anything pass you by, that you're still playing music, you're still being creative, and it seems like you're still living by the same standards that you um, were living by as a youth. Yeah, I just refined them to, you know, yeah. um, basically mom, punk rock was not a fad. That's <laughs> It's something I committed to, and it, you know right? it was beyond. The, All right, he'll outgrow it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I say uh, when I talked to Joseph when he interviewed me, I said, you know, you 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 can't take the attitude out of someone. You are who you are. You don't have to wear a leather jacket to be punk. Right. So on that note, thank you so much. You're it was welcome. really wonderful it was to great sit down to and talk with you. Talk some shit. Fabulous. We're gonna have to continue talking. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>